Episode 65 of the NFB Podcast, presented by 3D Entertainment. The NFB Podcast is brought to you by Riverside Dodge, the official truck sponsor and dealership of the show, as well as Hooked Up Enterprises as the official in-arena gear of the NFB Podcast, and of course, Wrangler, the official clothing sponsor of the show. Wrangler, long live the Cowboys, and also we can't forget our newest one. The Czar Lake Bolarama, so bad to the bones, Czar Lake Bolarama action, July 21st, 2023. Get your tickets at the door. We'll talk about all those guys in a little bit here. But before we do and before we get into the action, Scott Burns with me. What's up, Scott? Not much there, because he just uh, rolled in from chores and uh, just looking forward to chatting with your smiling face here. I guess it's just uno, dos uh, today. <laughs> no, un, deux, trois. It's just uh, the because he's uh he's high flying home from mexico i take it a eh, old jaco yeah i didn't know where you were going with that one but I, I like i get it now so for those that are listening in we do not have jason davidson with us today because uh once again just so busy well, this one is a holiday uh <laughs> has to take the time uh, to do that one well, through his busy schedule not with us today so me and scott holding down the fort missed the interview missed everything it has nothing fucking to do with episode 65 so <laughs> this one's all for us scotty what do you think i had a kid for christ's sakes and i'm still making it work <laughs> well yeah you've had a kid you're calving cows like you know, and you're still dedicated, you know, I, I, and I appreciate that about you. That's the dedication to the NFP podcast. And like NFP says, you're, you're not a fucking pussy. So there you go. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So let's dive into it. I guess uh, first things first, new baby burn on the ground, Redford Maxwell burn. And um, anybody that has kids knows Scott, you know how, exciting exhilarating all the emotions that you go through when uh when it's the birthing process so wow what a what a few days there that uh we went through megan holy christ was a rock star uh, you, you know scott the what the the women have to go through is is unreal so uh hats off to her hats off to all the ladies that uh and having kids and uh what an amazing experience man got my boy got two girls now layla and ruby and then uh got the boy now so crazy crazy world yeah. it's pretty exciting times yeah congratulations and you're right they are tough women are tough i there's no two ways about it that is uh that is a lot to endure i can't imagine you know uh i would have to say you would not argue we have the easy part if, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, uh, but yeah, congratulations on that. And, and I'm really excited about, uh, uh, seeing another, um, another burn boy on the ground. There you go. Right. Carrying on the name, um, Redford, talk to me about Redford. Where, where's that from? I, and I want you to talk about the second name too. I think that's really special, but Redford, was that just something you guys liked or is that throwback to somewhere down the line? No, we we uh, heard that name and 
just really liked it and uh you know it's no not specific like a family name or anything like that it's just a name that that we heard and never really heard that before so decided hey that's pretty uh pretty cool and I got red hair and everybody calls me red so it's kind of a little throw in that way and uh yeah little red you got big red and little red now so that's kind of cool and then uh the the middle name uh for those that don't know Maxwell uh named after my wife Megan's uh, brother the late Max Clooney that uh, was killed in a plane crash in 2011 at 15 years old. So uh, that one's very special. And, um, you know, we were hoping to have a boy to uh, just kind of keep that name going on. And, yeah, worked out great. So a little bit of homage to him. And, uh, yeah, couldn't think of a better name than than that one to go with. So, yeah, Redford's a little different. I've been getting lots of comments, but, uh, you know, it's fucking kind of old. You, you can imagine an old person named Redford, a little boy, yeah. a little red. You know, it's kind of, I don't know. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's vintage, definitely. I agree with you. It uh, seems to me like an older name, but, yeah, you can be goddamn sure he's going to get red, right? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. when he's in trouble, it's going to be Redford Maxwell, you bastard. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. uh no, that's that's awesome. You got your got your little boy, and he's healthy. And I, next question is: sleeping all night, just the perfect little baby, yeah, or no. are we staying? <laughs> or should I? Or should I ask Megs on that one? Yeah, ask Megs on that. No, it's uh, it's pretty wild. You're in and out of the hospital anymore, and like um, when everything's healthy and everything's good that way, uh, in like 24 hours. So we had him at 9 a.m. in the morning, and by the next 9 a.m., they were checking him. For the 24-hour check, everything was good to go, and fucking home we went. So um, got out of there, and then, um, yeah, two nights now. We've uh, been up all night, and uh, the usual, right? So way she goes, got to try to get them fed and keep them from crying, and uh, mom's doing most of the work on that, obviously. it's It's been what you'd expect and what everybody knows for the first few nights. There's not much yeah. sleep, and I've not much prep for this podcast. I don't know what the fuck I'm going to talk about, but where are we going to wing it? It's going to be good. <laughs> Well, I'm going to, you know, i.e. refer back to Article 2, Section 4 of the uh, handbook. Uh, you plant a potato, you get a potato, right? So, yeah. uh, I, you know, being a feisty redhead yourself, I'm sure that's just in the genes. It's the way it yep. goes, buddy. Yep, it's called sure. <laughs> it's full, the circle of life bite me in the butt <laughs> a little bit there. That's okay. Yeah, I know. I'm sure it's going to bite me for the next... <laughs> rest of my life <laughs> yeah. yeah guarantee you that yep. yeah but pretty exciting so yeah it's all good and red for came out with black hair so uh <laughs> funny how that stuff works but well it's no, cool and you know the the well that's like people question me on braid and they're like but like six one two you know yep. big boy where what what i'm like i don't know mailman rodeo and i was yeah. gone i don't know <laughs> totally joking of course but who cares as long as they're healthy that's all that matters right and yeah, uh exactly that's that's the best part of it all I, I tell you i've always said it nobody knows until they become a dad that is the the most proud you'll be in your life one two and three you've had three i had two when you bring that life into the world man who cares about buckles and eh, who cares yeah. about anything that is yeah. like it's insane yeah. 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 You, you don't know that feeling until you until you're in yeah. it. Right. Until yeah. it's like born and then you're like holding it and it's like, wow. Yeah. It makes everything else seem very, I, very small. 
I've told guys, I'm like, man, will you wait, you know? And then, you know, they'll call you after the fact and be like, yeah, man, you were right. That is, <laughs> that is yeah. crazy. So, yeah. yeah. Pretty wild. So, yeah, that's cool. I'll keep everybody in the loop on uh, on all the activities that go on now. So we're going to be a, a big family of five heading her down the road, camp for living this summer and uh, rodeo in Calgary Stampede and Pinoca. I'm sure it'll be an entertaining time for the for the family. The other two are older, though, right? Like seven and four. So they've been good. They've been helping lots. And, you know, it's not like you have a toddler as well that you're having to take care of 24-7. They've been in the mix and and you know helping with diapers and grabbing different stuff and and helping megan with different things so that's that's a little bit easier i couldn't imagine having like three kids under four or five like some people have you know like just holy fuck game on but nope it's been good it's been good that way right on you you got to give me uh the lowdown you had your school since we've been gone so fill us in on uh, everything that went down there the zane lambert scott burn bull riding bullfighting school at the six sick nation yeah first of all hats off to the contractors that came out slim wilson uh bart thompson nansen bold um there's a couple other guys there oh cody strandquist brought so i'll get to this part of it but zane does a wonderful job of organizing and him and stacy and you know, they really do 99.9% of the organizing, but he lined up, you know, Brett Gardner sports medicine was there. Thanks to the foundation. Um, the type Osborne foundation um, had acumen performance speak. And then on Saturday afternoon, maybe a Sunday afternoon, um, Cody Snyder came and spoke to the group. Ah, I seen and, that. How'd you guys get that one lined out? That's well, awesome. That's, that's all Zane, you know, yep. and uh it, it, like I said, when we had our podcast with Cody, yeah. I, I text him after the fact, just as to hear that story. And, you know, Cody, when he speaks, people listen. And um, there was, you know, parents will say there's probably 40 people standing around there. And you could have heard a pin job, you know, him just telling the story of coming from Red Cliff, Alberta with really nothing and just what he put into it to get where he was. And, I think it, you know, those young kids that are getting on maybe on the bubble debating whether they really want to do this or not. And it it really makes them think about, okay, like he says, you're either all in or you're out. So, but anyways, the school was amazing. And, and Cody himself did comment uh, a couple of times on how good Zane does on matching students to bulls and, and uh, making sure that no one's in over their head. And same with the bullfighters. I had 11 kids this year, which is a huge class. Um, and not, and hats off to every one of those kids. Uh, started with 11, ended with 11. Oh, cool. One was missing two front teeth at the end. But um, yeah, Barry Arnstead, who used to ride bulls, it's his son. Uh, this kid is, he always asks for 110%. Well, he gives about 150. And I mean, knocked his front chiclets out and I walked over there and I'm like, you all right? And he's like, yeah, they fell out of his mouth. And he's like, no, I'm good to go. But every one of the kids right from start to finish improved. We all started at the beginning and I said, what do you want to work on? And they all accomplished. And I think left there. Well, I know they left there um, knowing that they had fulfilled what they wanted to in those three days. And, you know, as an instructor, you can, guide and coach and teach and whatever but it's up to them in the end whether they want to accomplish that and they all did there wasn't one kid in there that was kind of 
the pain in the ass, you know, not really wanting to be there. Everybody wanted to be there. So it was great. It was a great weekend. Got to hang out with Barry Prescott and, mm-hmm. and uh, Ty and the crew. So it was, it was good. Really good, good time. Yeah. 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 And your ex, that's the biggest terrifying part other than the teeth, I guess. But the biggest thing with schools, right. Is you always have a couple fucking close calls or some bad wrecks. Cause it is, it's, it's a hard sport to get into. And that's another thing I was going to touch on is like, going to your guys' school or going to the right school for kids that are listening. Don't just because somebody's putting on a school, go to it because there's bulls to get on. That could do you way worse going to a bad school or going to a school that from somebody that's not good at teaching or shouldn't be putting on a school in the first place, go to the right ones. Just because there's bulls to be at it and it's close to your house doesn't mean that it's going to help you in any way. It probably will hinder you more than anything. So going to the right ones is is the way to go and stuff like that with what you guys put on there is, is right where it's at. Well, once again, all the credit to Zane on that end of it. Um, that is, I think this school is really gaining a reputation for that, that uh, these kids are fit to what he brings some cows to, you know, so everybody's fit to their level. And, you know, day one, they might be at this level. Day two, they'll bump up. Or day three, they're, you know, getting all the older turn back bulls, you know, whatever. We're here to build them, not, you know, no. scare them. And, uh, you know, a lot of parents approached us throughout the weekend just saying how good it was to not only get to get on bulls and learn better the craft, but also, you know, the speakers and learn about muscle tears and how to treat bruising and you know how to stretch out and what it takes to be a world champion and the mental fitness from Brett Gardner you know it's all wrapped up into one and you know it when like I say if I associate my name with good people and Zane's one of a kind he's a champion he proved it time and time again and he passes that along and he's such a good teacher now that people are starting kids are starting to get hear that and they want to be there so it's exciting exciting so next question um ty prescott usually will find he'd be like in the back pens normally but he'll usually find himself run over at some point was there any did he get run over you know what we chatted about that (laughs) as soon as the school started and he he said scotty this year i'm just staying behind the old gate (laughs) and you know what he did but with that being said you know brock radford was there just hanging out and all those guys being there and those young guys seeing that, that's just their presence and the little hints they'll give behind the shoots to guys and whatever. But no, Prescott did not get run <laughs> over this year and yeah. uh, had, a, had a good weekend. It was lots of fun. Good. Another thing that I thought of when you were talking about Cody and telling his story about like coming from Red Cliff, that's another thing that we always talked about it at the, at the Global Cups as like Team Canada when you're going in there and you're going against Brazil and, and the U S and these guys that have world championships, right. And you're kind of the underdogs. And it, it, for me, it's, it's what I always said. And what I always thought of too, of like young guys getting into the sport and they see guys like Jose Vitor Leme and these guys, and they think that they're this like different level of a human. And it's, we all come from the same fucking place, right? These kids that are getting on at your school are coming from the same place that Cody Snyder came from, right? It's what you put into it. 
It's not, you weren't born with this special thing that, that makes you a world champion, right? Jose Vitor Leme. Yeah, he's talented, but it's what he put into it, what he's done. He's no different than anybody else that wants to fucking go at this sport, right? So that's what we've said in the Global Cups. These guys are the exact same as us. There's no difference in them. Some of these, like, you know, the Brazilian guys, they're born in the, some of them in the jungle and shit, right? Like, and they come and, and they have nothing else and this is what they do. So they put way more into it and their mental game and everything else is so much different and that's the same thing that i think a lot of kids and a lot of guys need to understand is it doesn't matter who you are where you're from you can do anything and go as far as you actually want to take it yourself right yeah 100 percent. and it's like we know from being in in the sport but hearing it from someone like cody is what you put into it is what you get out so if you want to put half into it yeah you're going to get half out of it and you know it's the same thing i i tell kids don't get in a hurry to go too fast meaning don't make the jump from the level you're at it's always harder to you know you i think the one thing that the pbr is kind of um it's all it's brought such as um it's such a celebrity thing now but i think sometimes kids in the bull riding want to go from your semi-professional your amateur rodeos right to the get their pbr card and go right and maybe not quite ready same as bullfighters no different know your level, take the proper steps. Cause if you go up there and as a bullfighter, you screw up, it, it takes twice as long to get knocked get down back. and make your way back up again, you know? And it's the same in the bull riding too. You want to go up there and, and show them guys what it's all about. So just know your limits and go hard at it and always strive for something better, but just know your limits and where you're at at that time. Yeah. Beauty. Love it. Yeah. That's one thing too, that, you know, like a guy touches on with, like getting to that next level. I remember going from the the amateurs to the pro level and was fucking terrible. Like I couldn't stay on anything, right? And I dominated in the in the at the amateur level and at the youth levels, right? Get up to the pro levels, didn't think it was going to be anything different. And it was 100% a learning curve. I had to totally revamp how I rode bulls, right? I always just tried to sit up there and lift on my rope and squeeze as hard as I could and try as hard as I could. And it got me through what I was needing to get through. Right. I had natural talent, natural ability at it, but yeah, like anybody, all these young guys, you know, don't let it discourage you that, that, um, it doesn't go your way right off the hop. Right. Sometimes you got to retool, revamp your skills. A guy like Ty Poswan was somebody who showed me, I didn't know anything about posting and getting over the front end and, and totally riding how everybody rides now. But I had to learn that at like 18, 19 years old. Right. So, um, didn't make the CFR off the hop, took a lot of time and effort and injury. And then, uh, you know, it clicked finally in the end, just because of that will to win and, and learning and, and figuring out as I went. But everybody thinks that, like I say, lots of these guys, it just comes natural to them, but there's tons of different shit that goes through it in this sport. Yeah. And it's a different atmosphere too. You're going from your normal friend click and atmosphere up to a whole different ball game and it's intimidating. And then you get nerves and you get, mind games and you know it's just it's it just takes some time it doesn't happen overnight so keep at her and eventually it'll come and don't get stuck that's another one i like that one it was, we got jerry bueller on the podcast today and he's a bc kid and he this is a great podcast we'll get to it here in a little bit but and i remember we talk about him and ty posbon being buddies and stuff when they were young and Posse coming from the BCRA and me coming from like the CCA type of thing, right? Lots of guys can get in that comfort zone and have all the talent and ability to go to another level 
but get stuck within within that association or that province mm-hmm. because you're the big fish there and, and you know you don't get to go to that next level so i remember posse's dad always telling him like just whatever you do you just got to get out of bc right and that's the the biggest thing with anything us canadians going down to the u.s who gives a shit and like jerry's going to talk in this podcast if you don't make it at least you know you fucking tried when you're an old man you're going to be sitting back and not going to be the guy that's saying, oh, I could have done that. I I should have done that if I would have done this, but I just didn't want to go. You never want to be that guy. As long as you fucking give it everything you got, if you don't make it, at least you'll always know that you, you tried it and you went at it 100% and you'd left everything out in the arena. Yeah, no regrets. No regrets. That's right. Let's get into an ad read, Scotty. Right here, buddy. Riverside Dodge. We'll start with the boys. Hey, the main, the main crew with us here. How's your truck yeah. running? Great, 100%. Yeah, good to go. No, no complaints. Yeah. Riverside Dodge in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan is home of the award-winning Ram truck. They're the brand you trust to haul a trailer load of rank bulls along with your crew up front in the cab. Whether you want to go check fences or tailgate outside the next PBR event, the boys at Riverside Dodge have the right truck for you. Riverside Dodge is not only the dealer of choice in northern Saskatchewan, but also sells and services all across western Canada. Go see Ty and the gang at Riverside Dodge for a fair, no-bullshit deal on your next truck. And tell him Tanner or Scott sent you, not Jason. Fuck, fuck him right now. Riverside Dodge and Prince Albert is the official truck dealership and sponsor of the NFP podcast. Boom, boom. Wonder how poor much Jay. money. Wonder how much money he's poor, making for us right now, Scott. What do you think? Poor, poor Jason's really getting here today. <laughs> It'll be all right. Well, we want to get into it. We never want to have the uh, somber moments on the podcast. It's hard to talk about, but you got to pay homage to legends and, and, and um, people that deserve it in this podcast. And we lost that exact person here um, a few short days ago in Lee Bellows. Um, uh, uh, like I said, legend in the, in the sport, a guy that's, you know, was a bullfighter and then clown for, for many, many years. And a guy that all of us, Scott, we grew up around Lee mm-hmm. learning from Lee um, been in the sport since, I can ever remember every picture that you see from, I, I can't even explain it. This guy was the icon of, uh, of, of our sports. So uh, you knew him probably better than most did Scott. So maybe you could touch on it first off. Oh yeah. It's uh it's a, it's a loss obviously to the, to the Western lifestyle, the rodeo world. Um, yeah. I met Lee in the late eighties going to rodeos with your dad actually. And uh that's my first recollection of seeing him in the arena and his son Casey was with him. I'll never forget it. And as time went on, um, you know, I, I started riding bulls and he used to call me feature and I don't think it was cause I was 90, if you know <laughs> what I mean, but um, he just was one of them guys that y- you wanted to be around. He, he never, you never got too excited about anything, but he taught me a lot of life lessons in and out of the arena. Um, I could get into all of them, but I'll just keep that to myself for now. He just was a great guy. And, uh, Oli was a poet. Um, he was a brand inspector. He was totally immersed in the Western lifestyle. Um, he lived it every day, mm-hmm. um, been to every rodeo around and, uh, you know, he's going to be sadly missed. And, and tomorrow when this podcast comes out, will his funeral will be in Moose Jaw mm-hmm. where he lived, most of his life um and uh yeah it's going to be a little bit of a tough one but um uh his his wife Teresa um 
his son Casey, his daughter Kirsten are all obviously uh, it's going to be a big loss to them too, but they're doing well. And Lee was sick. And um, that was the, the, you know, that's the hard part is that at least now he's at peace and, yeah. and uh, he's, uh, he's gone on to greener pastures, but you know, if, if you had a dime for every marshmallow that Lee <laughs> shot into the arena and that, I mean, that's, that guy was known for that. And, and uh, you know, you kind of just expected it. Every rodeo you went to Lee just walking up and down them boards, shooting marshmallows and entertaining crowds. And he made a lot of people smile over the years. And uh, I'm grateful for all the little things he did that amount to one big thing. And um, you know, he was fortunate. I'm fortunate enough that he's kind of passed on the torch a little bit and that'll be determined at a later date, but um, I'm excited for, for the next thing and, and to do, Lee proud. So, um, yeah, my condolences to the family and, um, Lee, you're uh, one hell of a man. You're going to be missed. Yep. hundred percent. Well said. I like that too. And the fact that you know, like you talked, he was sick and, and, uh, he's not suffering now. And I think a guy like Lee is one of those that you can say lived life exactly how he wanted to live life. Like he loved the Western lifestyle more than anybody that I'd ever seen. And after he was done clowning, he still just toured around in his van and Teresa would take pictures. And it was really just because they wanted to come and hang out with the rodeo family and be a part of rodeo and just visit with people, you know, like he literally lived every day in this lifestyle as a cowboy and, and kept that going right till the end of his life. He did. That's the thing. And, you know, what he put into the sport and and what he gave back to the sport, I guess, is a better way of saying it is immeasurable. Lee and I were fortunate enough, I guess, to he taught me how to play tuba properly. You know yeah, that, that famous that yeah. that famous the act, yeah. the tuba act. And yeah. in fact, I hate to even say it, but like Tanner Girl, it still calls me tuba to, the, to this yeah. day. You know, and, yeah. but it, I always had fun with Lee, and I look forward to hanging out with him on the weekends we did, which was a lot at one point, especially back in the CCA days. Um, um, you know, we traveled a lot of miles together, had a lot of fun. And yeah, like family. I said, yeah, yeah it's yeah. just, uh, yeah, it's kind of surreal that he's gone, but like I said, he, uh, he, he did gave a lot. He did her. He yeah. did everything. He lived it how he wanted to. So I remember uh, growing up in those, like in the clown rooms, right. When we were little kids and like, you would be fighting bulls at those CCA radios and, my dad would be bulldog and whatever me and jesse just hanging out in there and his dog you know had the little dogs his dog bit jesse the one day nipper nipper. Yeah, his name was nipper yeah <laughs> like yeah. oh shit jesse don't go near the dog named nipper well <laughs> i i think how that all worked out was is that uh lee left the dress room and forgot something and yeah. sent jesse back to get something for lee and <laughs> I think how it all went and he reached down to grab it and old nipper shot and nipper was a fair age at that time and looking pretty, pretty rough. And I guess he didn't want this little blonde haired kid grabbing stuff out of his dressing room. Yeah. I think it made him bleed too. Oh, like yeah. It got him. Got him. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. What'd you get? What? And then yeah. I remember, um, I hadn't seen Lee in a lot of years, right? Probably 10 years. And then, um, Came back to Herbert, Saskatchewan to fight bulls in like 2019 or whatever it, it would have been. And now looking back on it, it was such a great memory. Just he parked right beside me. And then we got to bullshit through the three days at Herbert. And he was on the back of the shoots and was talking to me about bullfighting and all that stuff. Was watching me, right? Because nobody knew about me as a bullfighter at that time and giving me advice and just chatting with me. And 
And uh, so that's pretty, pretty cool moment now to think of. And then um, he actually was still at that time came out of retirement a few times and he was getting pretty up there and, and not getting around all that great, but was still doing some events like out in Manitoba and shit. And I was talking to him and then he's like, yeah, you know what, Tanner, it's pretty hard for me like to, to get in my barrel anymore. And at this point, like clowns aren't really getting in barrels anymore. Right. Yeah. Like you see Flint, there's guys that do, but I haven't seen very many clowns get in the barrel all that much. And he's telling me that he's, it's hard for me to get in the barrel. I'm like, you're getting in the barrel Lee. And he's like, well, time the hats. It's my act. Fuck. Like, yeah. like, Cause remember yeah. that's another shooting marshmallows. Yeah. And he had all the different hundreds of hats tucked away yeah. in that barrel. And he'd pop out with a different style hat. I was like, Holy shit. That's a flashback to childhood. Right. So pretty amazing. It's, it's funny you say that because I think the last time he did, I think he retired officially in Verdon. Okay. And I, I, I want to say it was 18 or 19, 18 maybe. It, does, it doesn't matter, but that was his last one. And you're right. He got in that barrel right till the end. And there was mm-hmm. nothing saying that something wasn't going to come out and totally paste <laughs> yeah. him in there. Yeah. I, I seen Lee at those bullfights they used to have like Saskatoon and all that get absolutely pasted around the arena. And, and I mean, that barrel was there for a reason, but he was willing to, he took one for the team for a lot of guys, you know, and, and myself too. I always knew when I looked out there, if I was lined out and had nowhere to go, that big red barrel, I could get to it. I'd be okay. So yeah. Interesting fun fact. I fought my first, I fought my first performance on my permit in 1997 at the Calgary stampede. And that was the one performance that Lee Bellows did at the Calgary Stampede. Same yeah, yeah. Damn. first first yeah. Friday of nineteen ninety seven Calgary Stampede. So yeah. we always kind of laughed about that, you know. Yeah, um, he did his one performance there, and <laughs> and would come back every year and just watch. But he actually got to clown there the the one time, and he was forever grateful for that. So yeah, wicked. No, I think that's uh, what more do you say, right? And like we like we said, he's family and the funeral this comes out Thursday and the funeral is today. So uh thinking of all of the friends and family, if you're driving there and everybody I'm sure thinking of their own Lee stories and we've seen it on Facebook. That was kind of cool near the end of his life. Uh his uh, I think his daughter put on there, you know, to share your share your stories for Lee as he can read them. And uh there was tons and tons of stories on Facebook and different memories that everybody had. This shows the love that, that he had within that Western lifestyle and beyond. So I thought that was pretty cool. That was a good ordeal. That's one good thing about Facebook. That was a, a cool deal that, that I'm sure made him happy in the end. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, he, he, uh, I'd phone him a couple of times and he still right to the bitter end. He, he wanted to talk clowning and rodeo and all sorts of different stuff. So yeah, mm-hmm. rest in peace, Lee. You're going to be missed and uh, fondly remembered, that's for sure. There'll be more of that, too. Lee's, uh, Lee's stuff will live on. We'll get it into that at a, at a later date with Scott yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, it will live on. And, uh, <laughs> that's yeah, cool. Well. Um, one other thing we should mention, too. Um, um, Darren Humphreys, Humper, we all yep. call him. He uh, He's on the PBR tour. He cracks latches, does a number of things in and around the arena. Um he lost his dad the other day to uh, Harold Humphreys um, just suddenly. So thinking of Humper, uh, part of the PBR team, and um, he's, uh, he's um, you know, obviously didn't uh, – it was, it was uh, how do I say it, just so sudden that caught everybody off guard. So, Humper, we're thinking of you from the NFP podcast and then the PBR crew. Yep, well said, Scott. Well said. 
Cool. Okay. Ad read here, boys. Uh, Hooked Up Enterprises. For the biggest moments and the brightest lights in the biggest situations, get hooked up. Hooked Up Enterprises is a creative partner for Western sports and beyond, providing customized arena wear for some of Rodeo's most elite athletes, as well as state-of-the-art arena wrap display products for some of Western sports' most prestigious events. They are the official in-arena gear of the NFP podcast. Find out more at www.get-hookedup.com or follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Stand up, stand out, and stay hooked. And remember, when you order that stuff, use the code NFP for a discount on that stuff. I just got my new Get Hooked Up gear for the season. Uh, I got some new jerseys made up, got an old school one like we talked last time in homage of old Rhino there. And then uh, a couple new ones, got one to match my truck. It's going to look pretty cool. It's got the red and the black. And then, uh, yeah, we the Brent there, he's good. You just send him what you're after and he'll fucking design it up. And I can't think of stuff like that. And he, every time he sent it back, it's like, oh, yeah, that's sick, bro. <laughs> Let's make that. Yeah, so, I'd have never thought of that. Thank yeah. you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, um, in some PBR news, uh, one update that I thought was pretty badass, our boy Colton Fritzlin, former guest on the show, he uh, posts on uh, Instagram on his way to Albuquerque, New Mexico, one of the biggest events of the season, the Timery Invitational, posts on there that he's listening to the NFP podcast with Casey Field while he's driving there. And what do you know? Little bump, little boost. The boy takes the championship in Albuquerque. So I like that. Like that little NFP bump for the boy. That was pretty cool to see. And that's such a huge event to win, right? The Timer Invitational. I I reached out to him and and told him, you know, there's those there's those stops on the tour. Every win is big, but there's some of those ones that stand out a little bit more, right? The gun that you get from there and all the added trinkets and in the pit. It's just a. It's kind of one of those events that stands out. So big win for colton fritzlin i i've never been there i've obviously seen some video and it, it's kind of unique uh setup hey yeah it's fucking wild it's the pit it's called and it is it's in like a pit so you get dressed which would be like up on the concourse and then you got to walk down i don't even know how many flights of stairs it seems like a fucking million but you go down into like the pit it's like a basketball style arena and then you get down in there and you're in it and that whole crowd is like it seems like they're on top of you and it's always packed and they are going insane and it's a it's a really cool event they always bring the bangers too it's always the heat bunch of bucking bastards right in the heart of bull country so i had on long john there one time when he was there first i probably told this story they first busting him out but I was terrified of that big fucking thing. And I slid up on my rope and he reared back with his horn and hit me right in the tip of my finger when I had a hold of the bar and it just like burst the end of my finger and there's blood squirting out. And I was the first guy out and I just got on tour at that time. And I'm looking at my finger like, holy fuck. And then Cody Lambert's a shoot boss and he starts yelling at me like, what's going on? Come on, dodge your head. And I just panic. I'm like, oh, fuck, open the gate. <laughs> I think I got one or two jumped, one of the two, but <laughs> so, welcome to the big show, kid. <laughs> well, you had no, yeah, you got one or two jumped, but Christ, you, you lost the end of your finger. Right? Yeah, get up and it's just squirting blood. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> but yeah, it's a cool, uh, a cool event. There's been lots of great rides there. Storming Wing on Bruiser happened there. I remember... Uh, one of the first years I was there, Marco Gucci rode Rango. It's always it's always a bunch of buckers, and everybody comes comes to ride normally. But at this time of the year, it's a tough time of year for guys, and you can see it. Um, we'll get into it here too. Is everybody's hurt, man? Like it's the the grind of the season is in full motion right now. 
Um, I got the stat somewhere here. 13 qualified rides in Sioux Falls last weekend total. And that's just got to do like um, this weekend, uh, the boys are headed to Napa, Idaho. Oh, this weekend due to injury, Jose Vitor Leme, Dalton Castle, Daniel Keeping, Luciano DeCastro, Mason Taylor, Kyler Oliver, Derek Kobaba, Marcelo Pereira, Brady Olson, Jess Lockwood, Casey Roberts, Brady Randolph, Bob Mitchell, Flavio Vieira, Nick Tetz, Mauricio Moreira, Junior Patrick Souza, Briggs Madsen, Ed Nike Minhas, Rafael Henrique, and Silvano. So that's wow. You know, <laughs> that's a lot of I can do it's right there that are gonna that are gonna be in it. So but it's like it's great. It's crazy, but it's it's how you win world championships to stay healthy. You look at a guy like Kaike right now. He's healthy and firing on all cylinders and just racking up the points with Jose mm-hmm. out. Kaike now moves into number one. That's Jason's pick for the world champion, and it's looking great right now. It's going to be such a cool run to go on. But I always remember this time of year. Usually, you're getting ready for the break, right? When we were going, it was you went so hard all year, and then the break was in May, so you knew you just kind of grind it out, and then you got some time off to heal your body. But now that's the finals now, so yeah. it's kind of a total, total different game. But you're seeing like Albuquerque. I don't think there's any rides in the short go, and Colton rode two out of the three. Um, same as last weekend in Sioux Falls. Um, a young fella named Galermi Valajeda. I probably said that wrong, um, but it was his debut event, and he wins that event. Same thing, no Same rides that. in the short go. He uh, he steps up and and rides. So it's a good time for like a young guy or a guy that's been mm-hmm. on the velocity tours, right? Yeah. Or a guy that's just been plucking away. Or you get riding good, and then you can come in. And you can really step up to the plate and take that money because it is a game of of figuring out, you know, how you're gonna how you're gonna do it or drawing game and if you draw the right ones he's a good time to win right now well this is probably the business side of this whole sport right here right now exactly making the decisions do i you know wait it out one and roll the dice a little bit you maybe those guys that are a little further down in the points you know that'd be a tough decision but we still got some events to go so you got to be smart about it right or we could all blow up your face in a hurry I used to get the sports bet team called it the Canadian flu. <laughs> I'd just be beat up, beat down, but you weren't allowed to miss events. So I'd just be like, God, oh, I'm, I'm sick this weekend. <laughs> just take yeah. a weekend off. But it always seemed to work. You know what I mean? Because you like, I'd go home, I'd stay, I'd get away from it. I'd refresh, get my body feeling good and then come back fresh after everybody got the shit beat out of them the weekend before at a place like Albuquerque, right? Or a three-day event or where there's a 15-15 event where these guys are getting on five bulls in the weekend. You know, you're at home resting up. The rest of the fucking field gets the shit beat out of them. You come back fresh, feeling good, stay on a couple bulls, boom, you get your points, you juice up, you do better than you would have at that time. So, yeah, there's different ways that everybody goes about it, but there is, you know, you got to kind of take care of your body, especially this year with this grind that's going on. And I think you're going to see more of that because you look at however many 15 to 20 guys are out and it's it's not good for the sport either. It's not good for your events when you're missing all those guys. So No, no, there's quite a few big names on that absentee yeah. list. So, yeah, I yeah. agree. The other one was like your exemption events. You see guys now that are, that are using their exemptions for like a final push towards the world finals. Cause if you come in, you haven't been going all year and you have some exemptions, you use them right now and you come in and win an event, which is very possible. Mm-hmm. That's going to bump you right into the top 40 in the world and get you a berth at the, at the world finals. 
that was another thing I would do. I remember coming back from injuries lots of times after the finals and you'd have five events or eight events and uh, you'd try to pick and choose which ones you went to, right? You never wanted to go to the classic events because those classic bulls were always fucking terrible. California bulls I always liked and I liked the weather in California. So I'd always have my mindset, right? So I might skip out on Oklahoma City and and then maybe um, something else, Chicago or one of those ones that were at like, the start of the year that everybody's riding really good. So you're like, well, fuck. And especially a guy like me, I wasn't winning rounds. I was getting them in the average. So the yeah. only way I was doing it was riding all my bulls. And and if the other guys were not riding all their bulls, right? So if you could wait it out for a couple, four or five events and then go into like Sacramento and Anaheim and then uh, stay on a few bulls, get your points racked up, get up in the top 35, smooth sailing for the rest of the year. Didn't you win Anaheim twice? Uh, once. Once I won Anaheim. Yeah. What was the other one? St. Louis you won? Yeah. yeah, and then Duluth too, Georgia. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't get to watch much of the events due to the fact that I was, I wasn't having the baby, but I was definitely a part of having the baby in the hospital. Well, you're a coach, man. Coach is important <laughs> on the yeah. bench. Be the coach. I might have, yeah, I might have been on my own if I would have been watching the bull riding during the labor of our, our child. Was so. was there was there any point in this birthing process where Megs wanted to rip your face off? Um, no, she was pretty good. She was pretty good throughout the pregnancy for sure. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I could probably name the times, but anyways, yeah. we won't go there. <laughs> but the, uh, no, she was like, yeah, it's like I said, she's full on rock star, man. Like she steps up to the plate and, and, uh, and ripped it. So yeah, no, it was, uh, everything that way went smooth. And I got to give a shout out to the, like the nurses and doctors at our hospital in PA. It takes a lot of, um, crap because we're in PA and, the Canadian healthcare system takes a lot of crap, but this was unreal, man. In fact, they were wicked, treated us like gold and everything that we needed and Megan needed. And yeah, it was through the roof. Couldn't say a better thing about the Victoria Hospital in Prince Albert for sure. She wasn't wearing an NFP ball cap during the birthing process, was she? No, I was though. <laughs> okay well at least one of you were there you go um more inside of things scott you got to talk on this one because we had a, a canadian event in marwayne alberta the win mm-hmm. goes to koi robbins it was a split with uh, a cowboy that you know very well you've talked about on the spot before cody fraser yeah good aussie kid who's just uh in college uh at olds right now good friends with my son Braden and uh really coming into his own he's been on the rodeo team there and literally come to canada in august i guess it would have been end of august and uh started off a little rough but really starting to you know he he uh made some money at lethbridge as well and uh splits it with koi and marwain so yeah it's getting getting exciting he's starting to ride with the big dogs and making some money at it so tanner gerlitz has always been pretty high on him and Tanner, you know, he would know, he just said, he's just, just on the bubble of, of crossing over and getting comfortable and riding some bulls. And obviously that's um, happening now. So good for him. Perfect. Good stuff. So Justin LaVenture reached out to me after we talked about his wreck at the CCA finals, the other podcast, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and sent me some pictures of the wreck itself and the rowel he was using and said that he never wore that rowel again, but he kept it to uh, to make sure that he remembered why he wasn't wearing that. And it was the one time that he actually thought he might die uh, as a bull rider. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, Scott, our uh, segment of the Sunday Scaries. I got a good one for you. Ready for it? 
Yeah. Do you have any? Do you get any lined out? Do you think of any? You got to think of some of these. I, I, no, I got lots. I'm just scared of the scaries to say them on the air. <laughs> Daddy's drinking beers and he smokes a lot of dope. Hank Williams smokes a lot of dope and dear John. Okay. Good Sunday, scary. Speaking of, uh, Jerry Bueller and the whole British Columbia thing. It brought me back in, uh, into the Ty Pazabon thoughts again. And uh, <laughs> this story, this story came into my mind and it was, uh, it's too good not to share. It was pretty, it's a good Sunday scary. So uh, we are in Des Moines, Iowa at the, uh, at the Built Ford Tough Series event. Me and him and Zayner and uh, Jesse Byrne, I think was with us. And uh at that time, same thing. Everybody's, you know, most of the guys are, are partying every night, right? It's not a whole bunch of going to bed. I was pretty new on tour at that time. So I decided that night that I was going to bed because I was really going to take it serious for the next day, right? So uh, I think me and Zayner stayed in. Jesse and, and Posse went out. Um, so to back the story up, though, we flew from Clovis, California. We were at the Touring Pro in Clovis on the Wednesday and then flew to uh to Des Moines and at those touring pros at, in those times they used to write you a check right right after the event was done if you if you win you know or top five whatever it is whatever check you get they didn't have sent it in the mail or direct deposit like they do now they just write you a check and then you take it with you after the event stick around for an hour after and get your check so Posse did good I think he went first or second at Clovis and had a big check seven or eight thousand in his pocket and um we uh flash ahead go to Des Moines do the first day and and he goes out that night and, and has himself a time and for those that know ty that were close to ty he was always known for getting a little pissy pants when he when he'd had a bit too much to drink scott you can attest to that most everybody that knew ty close uh he would he was known to piss his pants so long story short um they come back middle of the night me and zane are sleeping and and we hear them fucking stumble in and rah 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 you know how that goes when they're when your hotel partner comes in late it's always pretty loud and wakes you up but you, you kind of have a look around and he stumbles in and, and heads towards the bathroom and, and uh melee's right near close to the bathroom and i look over and he's got one pant leg off but he didn't get both pant legs off right <laughs> so <laughs> I wake up in the morning and he's melee down on the ground and sure enough, it's fucking soaking wet. And he's like, Oh no, we're good. We're good. It's I, I got my, I got my pants off anyway. Well, the one pant leg that he'd got on was still high enough up that he, he pissed all over those, all over those pants on that side. So like, Oh shit, whatever, but he didn't have any other clothes. So he just fucking puts those pants back on and we go back down for breakfast. We eat breakfast and it's time to pay the bill. And he reaches in his pocket, he pulls out his wallet, and it is fucking sopping wet, soaking, uh. soaking wet. So what's his find, right? Whatever, you know, it's just your cards. He opens it up, and that check from Clovis, that whatever, seven or $8,000 check that was in there, he pulls it out, puts it up by his face, and looks at it, and it's just dripping, soaking wet, totally wrecked. And he's like, oh, for fuck's sakes, they're not going to catch this thing, are they? <laughs> no way they were gonna catch that thing so that's fine we get through that we all have a good laugh that 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 check was wrecked and that's a pissy pants we go to the bull ride that day and uh he makes a short round obviously he was really good at that riding bulls and, and makes a good ride in the long round makes a short round but he comes back in like 14th spot and it was the it still is it's a pick right and um 
the two bulls that he had left were Bushwhacker and After Party. There's a little little gray bull, Jack Daniels After Party. It was right in the door to the right, and it always it whipped everybody down at that time. There wasn't a lot of guys that rode him. He'd have a bunch of suck back, and he'd just pull guys down on his head. And he's like, I'm definitely not feeling up to Bushwhacker today. So he decided to go with Jack Daniels After Party. And I'm standing beside him, and I'm looking over at him, and there's like two ahead of him, or one ahead of him, and they're getting ready for the short round. And he's like, he's he's helmet testing his helmet. He's hitting himself like on the bottom <laughs> of the chin, and he's checking, and he sees he's like feeling the holes, and he looks over at him. He's like, hey, there's a pretty big gap here. Hey, like he's gonna he's gonna hit this when he whips me down, isn't he? <laughs> like, Fuck, bro. Not good confidence. Not yeah, good no. confidence. Checking, hung over. Right? You feel like dog shit. And uh, sure shit, it did whip him down, but uh, he was okay. It ended up okay, and, and everything was fine. But that was on a Sunday, so pretty good Sunday scaries of uh, a pissy pants wreck check and uh, then getting whipped down by after party. <laughs> yeah, a void check and a sore jaw and a headache from the night before. That is classic Sunday. Yep. Yeah, Sunday scary. Thought that was yep. a good one. Uh, one time on speaking of Jack Downs after party too, that reminds me, Jory Marcus got on him one time and that was like in the, the iPad days or iPhone days or I, whatever they, iPods. And mm-hmm. he taped his iPod before, obviously before uh, GoPros, he taped his iPod to his chest because <laughs> he knew it would be good watching and that thing did fucking whip him down <laughs> and the video you could just hear it smash but the best part was he comes back behind the sheets and he's like oh this is gonna be fucking epic and he done tapes it and looks at it and he's like oh i fucking taped it on the wrong way it was backwards <laughs> <laughs> this is black. attention to detail attention to detail yeah Okay, uh, next segment. I don't have a full pro because I was in the uh, I was in the hospital, but I did have an amateur hour because I've got a lot of people sending different things in, and uh, one that got sent to me a couple times, uh, which is uh, which is was full on going down to the Amis is uh, liking your own pictures on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, probably probably not cool. <laughs> yeah, you know? don't be doing that, guys. Come yeah. On. You're not getting yeah. likes. Don't go and like them yourself, man. Get yeah. some better content. Fuck, there's nothing worse than somebody posts something liked by that same person. <laughs> I had 100 likes on this photo. Oh, they're all me. Son of a gun. So that one's getting sent down. Uh, full pro. Do you got anything full pro, Scott? Uh, you know what? I, I always liked it when um, some of those big rodeos would you'd land at the airport and they'd have somebody waiting for you. Uh, Cloverdale was famous for that. Um, you know, it was always nice not to have to get a cab and they'd take you right to the hotel. You could get your shit in order and then give your ride right to the rodeo. So we always talked about, you know, being treated like the athletes or the whatever. And, uh, it was always nice when they picked you up and delivered you where you needed to be. So that was kind of a full pro thing. Beauty. I like that one. Good work. <laughs> so people keep setting those in those. They're fun. I got a couple, uh, Good ones in the bank that people have sent in for the Sunday scaries. That seems to be a common denominator in our sport and lifestyle. Yeah. So those are fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. We're going to get to our interview with Jerry Bueller. It's a fun one. World champion team roper, our first team roper that we've had on the show. And such a cool guy. We talk about how we all go back with him and have known him for, for years. And he's helped your boy and all the different stuff. And he's doing schools and stuff. So it's cool just to hear his mindset, a, a different side of 
the Western lifestyle, not necessarily rough stock, um, but still could have the, the preparation mindset that he goes through and what he had to get to, to go from literally nothing to a world champion. Yeah. It's interesting. A couple things is that, you know what, you don't need a seven, eight horse bloomer to be a world champion. He definitely proved that. And you'll hear that in this interview. And also, um, you know, the similarities between, you know, the rough stock end to the timed event and the mental preparation and, and the practice and everything else is all the same. It's all the same. It doesn't matter what end of the arena you're at. And I kind of liked, you'll hear in this interview, you know, we talk about 90% mental and 10% physical, and he just flat out says, no, it's a hundred percent mental, especially in the team rope. And so I really, I really enjoyed this interview and he's just a class act guy. And, um, I liked his honesty on some topics that we talked about. So, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of people like it. It's, yeah. A lot of great feedback on uh, the last few episodes as well with Casey Field. And, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, so that's cool. So, people, uh, I'm glad you guys are, are digging it. And if you haven't listened to that one, go make sure and go back and listen to the last few episodes of, of the pod um, from what we're hearing. People are liking them. So, uh, before we get to that, I got to give a shout out, Scott. Yeah. If you get some time, you got to watch this show. It's on, I think it's on Amazon Prime. It's called uh, Daisy Jones and the Six. Have you seen this? No. Oh, dude, you'll fucking dig it. I think from what I'm gathering from it, it's it's a show that's based on the career of Fleetwood Mac. Oh. But it's like it, it follows this band and it's it's portrayed as a band 20 years later looking back on the moments in their career but then it's a full show about their career and mm-hmm. it's like in that moments and it oh dude it is yeah rock and roll drugs partying fucking full steam ahead it's actually elvis presley's daughter that's the the daisy jones the the main okay. character and she is through the roof and uh yeah it'll, it'll be right up your alley you'd love it it's like it was like everything that i grew up loving of like rock and roll and like the 70s right late 60s yeah. 70s and oh yeah so big shout out to that one if you guys haven't seen that one go and check that go and check that show out i will check it out i will check it out when did you tune into that did you just binge watch it while megs was having a baby or what well yeah it's because you there's a lot of downtime right where you're just sitting in the chair so i had to, I had to watch the show and meg was megs is the one that that recommended it for me and uh yeah once you get into it you get you get pretty hooked it's good storylines and it's it is cool because it's like if you know the fleetwood mac story of stevie nicks and like mm-hmm. the intertwine of them and the relationships when they were like they were fucking each other and then there's people coming from the outside and oh yeah it's can't even explain it go and watch it you'll dig it I'll, lots of different storylines yeah it's I'll cool check it out. Yeah. okay so with that boys and girls and ladies and gentlemen uh we appreciate you listening in we love you and with that we're going to throw it to our interview with jerry bueller but before we do this interview is brought to you by the czar lake Bullerama. for the best of all the bad to bone pbr action Make a plan to come down to Czar Lake Bullerama July 21st, 2023. The rankest bulls and the best cowboys in the business will try and win one of the biggest single day paydays in the industry at the back to back and reigning PBR Canada event of the year. For more information, check out and like our Facebook page or check out our website, www.czarlakebullerama.com. Czar Lake Bullerama, come get some. 
Czar is spelled C-Z-A-R. Czar Lake Bolorama. As well, guys, uh, shout out that the Chuck, the Chris Buck Band is doing the outdoor dance after the bull riding. So get your tickets at the door, show up, bring your campers, camp out, stay for the event, stay for the band, have you a party and a good time. Event of the year, last two years. So we're going to be yeah, having some fun at that one. And I'm telling you, get there early. That is a fact. Perfect. Okay. With that, we will throw to our interview with the world champion, Jeremy Bueller. Two-time Canadian champ on the healing side and a world champion, Jeremy Bueller, right here in this building in 2016. You're looking at Ren Richard in the white shirt, Jeremy Bueller, world champion. On the healing side, here's your Canadian, two-tones. Our guest today is a two-time Canadian champion and 10-time CFR qualifier, a four-time NFR qualifier, champion at Pendleton, Houston, as well as the average at the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo, just to name a few of the big wins. And in 2016, he became the world champion team roper. It's our good friend, Mr. Jeremy Bueller. Jerry, how we doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm doing real good. How about you guys? We're good, buddy. We're just fired up to have you on the show. It's been... Uh, been a long time coming you're a guy that we've talked about quite a bit but you're on the road so much with your team roping and stuff it's glad we finally get to sit down and have this chat with you fellow canadian heck yeah yeah it's good you bet so where do we catch you right now what's going on in uh in your world i know that uh, you just came off a big win at houston we'll get into that here in a minute but uh what's what's going on in your life with the downtime right now um yeah right now we've got uh about two weeks off uh, so I'm just at my place in Arizona here, um, practicing and basically getting ready for the California run. Um, we start out at Logandale on the 16th and then go to Red Bluff and Clovis before we uh, head back to Canada to start out at the Spring Rodeos up there. So does the winter run kind of stop after after Houston? I know there's like that big Texas run that you, that everybody hits, San Antonio, Houston, into Austin. And you kind of hit all those or what's the what's the winter run look like for you or Team Ropers? Yeah, for me, I, th- I think I usually go to about six. So, yeah, the Denver, Fort Worth, San Antonio, Houston, Tucson, and Austin. And then normally after Austin, I don't, I don't go to much else over there. Um, just kind of make the adjustment with the horses and, and you're open and stuff to get ready. Because once you go to California, everything's real long score and, you know, bigger, stronger steers and stuff like that. So you come back from roping in the buildings and get ready to go to more the pasture open style i guess yeah is it so is it different like that some of these outdoor rodeos have these big pens and they have a different style like salinas you guys come out of the same box which is totally fucked up i feel like but that's pretty wild <laughs> um but just indoor roping to outdoor roping is is it a different game yeah for sure it is and it's funny you said that because that was my thoughts the first time i went to salinas too <laughs> um why like to... why though like why do they do that what what is the whole theory behind it or what do you think their theory is it's pretty cool actually it's uh it's kind of how team roping like it's a tradition out there so the early days of team roping in california that's how they did it they both come out of the head box and real long scores and they chase them down and so it was a whole different style compared to what i kind of grew up doing because up north obviously you end up opening a lot of smaller pens and shorter scores and stuff so so to me salinas it was always uh it was just a little bit of a different style and there were definitely some learning curves and stuff that you had to figure out along the way but that's the nice thing about being 
35, not, not 20 rodeo. And now as you kind of know what to expect a little bit more. I, I just want to like the first, if you practice that at home, did you, did you back your horse in there and the horse went like, what the fuck's going on here? Oh, for sure. They did. Yeah. Me and me and Casper there in the old days when we were practicing, we for sure, uh, practice some of those deals but it's never just the same as when you first show up <laughs> <laughs> so is it different though like outdoor roping to indoor roping i know like in the bull riding sometimes bulls buck different when they're inside or outside is there a difference between the you know the steers when they're in inside or outside or your horses or or the the sport in general yeah for sure like um so say like a setup like red deer like the cfr or the nfr those inside deals, obviously the arena is smaller, so the score line's a lot shorter. So it's a lot different because it's almost like you can't get going soon enough once they open the gate because it's going to happen faster there. We're like Salinas. I don't know exactly the measurement, but it's like a 30-foot score or something. So it changes the whole way that a lot of other elements end up coming into it, like um, you know, as a healer, hazing the steer and stuff sort of keeping them in the middle because obviously if your header has to see them tail out the gate plus however far if you're just rowling out right there and shoving them left it it changes everything right so so yeah it's it's a lot different roping inside to to outside now would you this might be a stupid question but there could be a few of those on the show today uh <laughs> i've been known to throw in a few of those now is there would there ever be a time where you would you would like mount somebody else's horse or is it generally you want your horse everywhere or say a long score to a short score or inside to outside do you have different horses like maybe a barrel racer would have for different size patterns yeah for sure like like right now for example uh like i have four horses that i can compete on in the one that i ride on on all the long scores or the big outside scores he's an older horse but he can haul ass he can really run so I kind of reserve him for them. And then my other horse, he's maybe not quite as fast, but still good. So, so I'll do that inside. And then kind of like I said earlier, I think a big difference compared to rodeo and when you're a young guy compared to after you've been after it for a while, it's like when you're young, you almost have this pride ownership deal where it's like, no, I'm riding my horse. I'm not getting on anybody else's. And then you get to the point in your career where you don't really give a shit. You want to ride the best one there. So if someone has one that's really good on that, you're going to get on them. You know what I mean? And um, so, yeah, I don't, I probably mount out on other guys' horses, I don't know, a couple times a year. But the whole goal has been to build up, you know, your herd enough so that you have four of them. So that if you'd rather send one somewhere in a rig instead of uh, just going and getting on one that you've never rode before, I guess. Are you a, are you a big dog now? Like since you're the world champion, that you got a driver and he hauls your shit around and you just no. fucking fly to the next one? <laughs> no, no, it's not. I'm not. Uh, it's not ingrained in me to be a big dog like that. I definitely. Uh, we have had guys that'll help us through the summer, like whenever you got to drive all night or whatever and and stuff like that. At first, I never thought I would hire a guy, but you know it's you start noticing the difference if it costs you four or 5,000 when the first couple nights that you could sleep all night, you know, you're fresh the next morning and ready to compete. But as far as like having a guy that saddles and warms up and brushes and does all that. And I just kind of show up with my rope. No, that's those days probably won't ever happen. Yeah. Well, Casper, if they hire Casper. 
if they ever, if they ever do like sign me up shit i could probably talk my wife into letting me go for three four months of the year god damn that'd be fun if you got around to me and my wife that much though you'd steal her so <laughs> she likes you better than she likes me scott <laughs> uh who supplies the darts if scott's the driver because that's going to be your biggest expense oh that, that'll darts. that that'll be written into the contract driving plus dart supplying for sure holy if that's not a hidden cost i don't know what it is <laughs> Uh, so jerry let's get into uh houston we'll go there before we go back to the to the to the youth of your life but uh let's touch on houston because that's obviously a dream come true a goal for everybody in this world within the rodeo realm in any event is to be a champion at rodeo houston you checked that one off the bucket list the other day as a kid growing up in bc canada going down winning the championship at houston is that that's got to be right up there. Not maybe with a world championship, but but up there close to it, right? Oh, it's for sure right up there. Any of those big rodeos, like, it's crazy. You just, most of the time you want to go there and just do good, you know, because you can go and kind of do your job and pick away and win a lot. And that was this year. I kind of got off to a slow start. I roped two legs right off the bat, which sucked, you know what I mean? And then we ended up bouncing back and, and making it through the tournament style thing. And then ended up with a pretty strong finish but no that's by far one of the coolest wins just because it it is challenging and that's one of those ones it's a marathon you know it's like the masters for golfers or whatever or or anything like that it's one of the ones where you you know you can't really just get lucky you kind of gotta you gotta have things go your way and and do a good job the whole time so yeah it's pretty cool and not to mention it, it winning that takes a little bit of pressure off you know to go at you know balls to the wall all summer long does it not it gives you affords you some pick and choose and uh maybe some free time we'll say yeah for sure that that is the nicest thing about it with all of it counting like it went from i think right now if we didn't win houston we'd have like eighteen thousand one. we'd probably be top 20 maybe top 15 somewhere but just having that big hit where it for sure takes a little bit of pressure off but as you guys know in this deal, it's also a bit of a slippery slope. You start feeling comfortable and feeling like you got it made. Next thing you know, I mean, these guys out here, they're not scared to whoop your ass and, and make you wonder what just happened, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what's the what's the magic number? I know in, in all the other events, lots of times there's like a magic number where if you get to that much, you feel kind of safe. What's the what's the team roping number usually? It always used to be 65,000 for the longest time. And then last year, uh, 85,000 was the magic number. So it's, uh, I think with rodeos getting a lot better with uh, quite a few rodeos adding equal money, stuff like that, I think it's it's always going to take more. And I think eventually it's going to get to where it probably does take 100 grand, which it's all good, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. So back to Houston, when you, when you, rope those two heels did you did you know you had it one and what was the emotions like once uh when you got that buckle man it was weird because i remember i was i was real nervous and like if you guys have ever healed or like in high school or anything healing such a mental deal so it's like i feel like maybe other events it'll do you good to like get worked up and get super like you know on the muscle or however you want to call it. But the hardest thing about that deal in the format is just staying relaxed. And like, you know, you really got to, uh, you really got to check in mentally, I guess. So 
So for me, whenever we were second team to go, the first team, they slipped the leg. And when we went, we were we were five five, which normally is pretty good in the four man. I don't know if it I think normally they're a little faster to win it. So I didn't really know, but I knew that no matter what, we won no less than ten thousand. So I I was super pumped about that. I was excited about it. And then it's pretty cool. You end up in the back and you're watching. And I mean, you never want to root on or root for anybody to not do well, but as you just kind of watch it unfold and, and after the last team didn't have any luck, you're like, holy shit, we just won Houston. It's pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. Would you rather be in those four man situations? Would you rather go first or last? Man, I'd almost rather go first to tell you the truth. I think that way, like you don't get caught up in nothing. You never, you just go do your job and you trust it. And I mean, we can all say that that's what we're doing, but if you got that con- competitive nature to you and the first three teams go and they're real fast, you know, it's probably the same as bull riding. If you go and there's three nineties and you have one that comes around right there, I mean, you're going to freaking sperm and try to win something. It's kind of the same in the team rope and you're going to try to get a little more aggressive right there and try to win where I think if you're first out, you're just going to go do your job. And, and usually that's fast enough, you know? Mm-hmm. What's the what's the thought process for you? I know you're a big um, mindset guy, and everybody that we've had on this pod, if everybody goes back and listens to the guys that have won world championships, it's it's in my opinion all all the mindset, all your attitude towards the sport, and um, all those guys that have that edge, obviously talent and and the work that they put into it, right? But a lot of it is is your mindset. So when you're backing into the box at Houston or for that world championship. Is there a routine that that you go through as you're as you're going in there? Do you try to just fucking let it slide? Do you try to leave there well, or or what kind of goes through your your preparation just in the box? Well, the the big thing for me is like leading up to that, like uh, Houston or the NFR is, and I don't know why, but a guy's always really nervous up until you know you're the next one to go or whatever. And to me, as soon as I ride into the box. It, just, it feels familiar and, and I actually get pretty calm. You know what I mean? It's, uh, you know, just try to control your breathing a little bit and, and not get ahead of yourself. You know what I mean? Not pay attention to, you know, what that round pays or, or what everybody else has been doing or, or anything like that. It's, it's more a matter of making sure that you're checked in mentally on what your steps are, you know? And so I've always had a go-to, like when I get really nervous, I just try to focus on the very first thing I have to do. And then I feel like if I do that well, then it just muscle memory kicks in. You know what I mean? So it's all just a matter of trying to not, not get too into it and stay more about the process than the result, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. I like it. Chilling. Chilling. Well, that's, that's what I like as a, you know, you see me rip the heels off a couple now and then I know I have. Yeah. Yeah, it's been pretty good too. But uh, no, I, I find like uh, team, and, and you talk about it. I've been fortunate enough to just kind of watch some of your schools, and and uh, you talk about it's just about repetition, much like what we do. It's muscle memory, just the same thing over and over, perfecting it, perfecting it, perfecting it. And that's what I kind of admire is that you're not all about you know getting all amped up and making things hard. It's about keeping it simple but for an amateur guy like myself very amateur it's just like i compare it to golf you worry about your swing you forget about you know leaving you worry about this and it and i can't imagine um 
to be at the level that you're at, how many runs it has taken to to get to that? Yeah, for sure. And, and you're bang on. Like, and that's the thing. That's where it's healing, I think, is different than every other event in rodeo, obviously. You know what I mean? There's a bunch of different reasons why it is. But it's so it's such a mental game because at the end of the day, you're not really in control of much. You can kind of shape the steer where you want them in your haze. Like, you know what I mean? If, if they peel off to the right, it's hard for your header and they might handle wild or they go too far left. It's, it's too slow. But the big thing for me that I found out in a hurry is when you get to those high pressure situations, if your routine and your thought process isn't as black and white and simple as like, do this, do this. I mean, you're screwed because your brain's already scrambled. You're already real nervous. I mean, you obviously have elevated emotions when, you know, you know, in the back of your head that, you know, at the NFR, everybody you've ever known is probably watching amongst others. And now with, you know what I mean? And the judgment and expectation that comes with that to me, it's just, it's always been a matter of just trying to keep it so simple that when you're in a spot like that, you almost can't screw it up, you know, and maybe I'm just, simple-minded but that's what's always worked for me i can't have it super complex you know even you working with students and you know working horse afterwards or whatever it may be it's just it seems to be so i don't want to sound all girly and stuff but it's just kind of peaceful do you know what i mean like there's nothing (laughs) crazy crazy going on about it well i appreciate you saying that because it's something that i've struggled with a lot there's a lot of people probably listening that have seen me on the not so peaceful days <laughs> in the practice <laughs> in the practice pen and, and after rodeo and stuff when you're a young guy and i mean you guys know the drill every every little yeah. sub toe is the end of the world and you know but it's i've been pretty fortunate for a lot of the guys that i've been able to travel with and and the guys that have really helped me try to get to that point where you know, like Levi Simpson, for example, that dude's mental game is just amazing. You know, he has a way of blocking stuff out. And and I feel like he's kind of rubbed off a little bit on me being around him and stuff. And then, like, even now, the guy that I rope with, Ren Richard, he's super strong mentally. And, and I mean, a lot of those guys, it's uh, they could probably tell you stories about being getting fired up and me getting hot-headed or whatever. But Luckily, with age, I feel like I've learned how to rein it in a little bit and calm down and just kind of realize that a lot of that stuff, it it really doesn't help. And I think a lot of it, you know, from my perspective was was insecurities. You know, obviously, when you're a young guy, you got a lot to prove. And when you miss one that looks like it was easy or let one get away, it's pretty easy to get pretty pissed off for the wrong reasons where I think you can be frustrated when you screw up, but at least if you keep it all about the process more of why did you screw up instead of you know like what caused you to screw up what step did you miss instead of you know thinking about all the other stuff oh well so and so you know in our game when basically you get to pick your teammate and it's always in your head if if you're up like shit that maybe it's going to be really hard to get another high level you know header or whatever so there's all that stuff that creeps into your mind. And then I think a guy just gets to the point in his career where it's like, you don't really give a shit. You're like, if you're judging me from that, it's like, you haven't, you haven't been out here long enough. If you judge someone for, for missing or getting bucked off, everybody knows it happened. So. 
Okay, so I know there's lots of people wonder that aren't involved in the event of team roping. What what happens when the awkwardness of, you know, your header isn't working out for you, you as a healer aren't working out for your header? You know, obviously it's team roping, but sometimes those teams have to split apart to either, either get better or or just change some stuff up. Is it is it just kind of a, a known thing that that will happen or can happen? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, uh, I think whenever you, you know, if you're playing hockey or baseball or, or any sport at the professional level, you know that you're always, anything can happen at any time. It's all performance-based, right, and stuff like that. But for me, I've always, I've been so lucky. The guys that I've got to rope with, you know, we all still get along great right now. And it's one of those things where, you know, whether I've initiated it or they've initiated it, most of the time, when you're when one guy wants to do something different it like if it's not winning enough for me i know it's not winning enough for you and vice versa so no i I think a lot of people think that it's always like team roping partnerships it's like breaking up with a girlfriend or whatever yeah 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 but honestly i i've never had that experience it's always been like you know it's it's the same as you guys with your traveling partners and stuff you end up being you know bros from that deal and you know, you feel bad for them too if they're not winning and checking off stuff off their list. So it usually seems pretty mutual. Like me and Levi roped. I mean, we had a way better, we had a way better deal than I thought we ever would. You know, we got to make it to the NFR together and won a couple of Canadian championships and and stuff like that. So with us, it was the writing was kind of on the wall. We weren't really winning much. And it was like, okay, well, it's been good, but why beat our head, heads against the wall? If it's not working, we probably need to do something different. And the thing that sucks about it is this is how it usually goes. is you'll, You won't win. You won't win. You have that talk, and you, like, clear the air, and it almost takes the pressure off or something. And, like, me and Levi, when we decided we were going to do something different, we won first, second, or third at the last 13 out of 15 rodeos we went to. <laughs> you know? So it's it's kind of a weird deal, but – knowing what I know now at this point in my career is you learn and you get better with every guy that you usually rope with because they know something a little different that they bring to the team or whatever. So it usually ends up a positive thing when you do something different. Do different guys have different styles? Like, could you be say the best fucking header in the world and the best healer in the world, but you might not clash together because of a different style that you might have or the way that that guy handles a steer. Yeah, for sure. And I think that the horses that you have means a lot too. Like, uh, you know, if you got a guy with a head horse that hauls ass and, and you're on a slow heel horse, it doesn't matter how good you rope, it's not going to work, you know. And I think a lot of it, it's just like any team deal, you know what I mean? I think, uh, I think the chemistry there, if your buddy's out there having fun and, you know, just having a good time, it seems like that's usually when you win. And, and I've also, there's been other times and you rope with someone and I mean, you know, they're kind of miserable or placing blame. And I mean, that's the same deal. You're not really going to do your job if the morale gets down on the rig. So we always try to have a lot of fun and keep a good crew around. And, you know, my big deal is if you are with someone that's super negative or is always wanting to blame this or blame that, we're usually quick to try to weed them out and, and get them out of the rig. Cause you, you just don't want to be around that sort of thing out here. Yeah. Fair enough. I don't know what, when you guys are talking about throwing a fit after you don't do it. I've never done that before in my oh, life. Fuck. <laughs> uh, uh, that, is skip- a, that is a lie. That is a lie. 
Fuck, I watch videos back and it's like, oh my God, you fucking idiot. Oh, it looks bad. <laughs> I think I've thought that about myself. <laughs> but but you got to admit, at the time, it feels goddamn good. Oh yeah, you're just losing it. Yeah. Well, Jesus. that's why I golf now is because it's like, if I'm golfing, you can throw a club. You know what I mean? Like you got you to hold yeah. it in when you're rodeo, but when you're golfing, I mean, whatever, send that club down the fairway and pick it up on the way by. <laughs> i like the i like the the translation between golf and our sport too like roping i always said it's similar to bull riding two total different sports but you could have the same clubs on the same course day after day and shoot different scores and have total different games each day same thing you could have the same equipment the same bull at that rodeo five days in a row and you're gonna have different outcomes every time right a lot of it i feel like same as team roping is a lot of it is your mindset towards things right Oh, a hundred percent. Like I think, I think mindset's a hundred percent. You know, a lot of people say it's 90, they say it's 95, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, I, I know some guys that rope damn good, like so good and maybe have a bit of a mental block or whatever. And they just, they never seem to, you know, kick their career off and, and get to a certain point, you know? So I think it's one of those things where, like you said, it's crazy. There's, some steers that you look back on and you're like, man, I can't believe I missed those. And then you look at other ones whenever you've been on a heater and doing really good. And it's like, wow, I can't believe I caught that one. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> goes both ways. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Before we get past Houston, I got to get the, the behind the scenes locker room chat of the Bo Cooper incident. It kind of overshadowed you guys winning the goddamn thing. Cause everybody on the internet was talking about the, the calf rope and that uh, incident that went on. But what was the thoughts behind the, behind the scenes, like with the calf ropers and the team ropers and when all that shit went down, was there a big blowout behind the scenes or what went on? There kind of was. Yeah. And as there should have been, you know what I mean? And in, in my opinion, that was, that was such a crock. Like when we were sitting there because the calf roping was uh, right before, like in the format, obviously they ran four. So we were right there and we watched and Bo Cooper was late. Like me and Ren are sitting there watching. We're like, you know, what are you doing? Like get going. You know what I mean? You're late. And then he just blasts this one and everyone's all pumped and yelling. and It's all good. And then next thing you know, they're saying broken barrier. And I mean, yeah, there were, there were guys going wild right there running up to the judges and telling them and showing them videos and stuff. And, and you're right. It was a huge deal on the internet. That's just, it's kind of what the cowboy channels brought to the table is stuff like that. It's going to get blown up, but I, I kind of, I don't know if feel bad's the right word, but to me, those judges, I mean, everybody at home can pause their DVR and rewind and zoom in and look and draw arrows and do this and that. But like, when you're in a position like that where you have to make that call, whether it's your job or not, I mean, it's challenging. I just, I'm mm -hmm. such an advocate for, for video replay, if, if nothing else for the judges so that they can make the right call, you know, because there's nothing worse than it's a close call. Someone, everyone's either going to crucify you for making the wrong call or they're going to yeah. crucify you for making the right one. Cause everyone's got opinions. So, but that deal was so blatant that I thought for sure they'd go back and be like, look, we're going to override it and we're going to make it right. Because even the guy that won it was commenting that, you know, he knew that Bo had beat him. So in a situation like that, they had two choices. Say they did go back on it. They could have given him his time, correct? 
Yeah. Or could he have got a rerun because it was an equipment malfunction? Or how would that work? So I don't know the exact rule in the cap roping like that, but I do know that that's what the line judge is there for. Like he's sitting there watching the score line and it's on him to decide whether they got out or not. So that's like his one mind, job. That's his one job. That guy's that's his one job during. during <laughs> oh, fuck. You, I didn't know there you, was actually a guy that this job was to watch that. <laughs> Man, and that's where it was so bad because everybody's sitting there and they're like, man you know you're wrong like just say you're wrong and yeah. like, let's oh, move on man. right here but I, I couldn't imagine walking out of the building after that <laughs> like yeah I, i'd have ran to the nearest fucking taxi cab and got the fuck out of town that's how i had done. <laughs> yeah it's such a thankless job i mean you're expected yeah. to do it perfect every time you screw up once and yeah. all, all facebook dumps your ass you know but but, but i i am with you on that i mean that judging is thankless in the bull run. Oh. Any event, any event, you know, you have to have some broad shoulders to stand there and, and make a call on a world champion or whatever. It doesn't matter on a person period. Um, that's why we've talked about this in previous podcasts is that these big rodeos like this have the option of either replay or challenge. If you have a, what we have in the PBR a challenge button, like if Bo really thought, Hey, this is not right. He at least has that, to get it reviewed. I, I yeah. think it would be a huge... Yeah, and it takes the pressure off the judges as well in that sure. sense where it's like, sure. okay, yeah, let's go back and check it out, right? Yeah, yeah for sure. And and that's... I just think it's <clears throat> it's time for that now. You know, for so many years, it was always... Like, I know even growing up, it was always like, nope, judge's decision's final, so you're screwed. Whether he's right or wrong, he's living by it. But it's to the point now where, like, it's past that. It's all televised. Like, it's not... Yeah really great for the sport either having a hundred thousand people making something going viral on facebook seeing a, a young kid that deserved to win it getting screwed either you know what i mean i just i think they've already got the cameras they've already got replay you already watch yeah. it after a run or after a ride or whatever so but i i honestly i think it's gonna come in like it's it's too blatant now that they got to do something yeah. Well, and i think there you go it takes one real major fuck up to change things and this this could be it yeah. yeah, but the good thing about this deal in my mind is, like, rodeo has a funny way of, like, mm -hmm. the court telling the truth, I think. Like, I always say, like, the court doesn't lie or whatever. Like, I know a couple of years ago, whenever they first had, it was basically the Calgary Stampede for team roping. But in a weird deal, they ended up having to have it in Ellensburg and the whole deal. And I ended up, I should have got in. And at that point in time, I was right on the bubble. And I only had a handful of rodeos left and they screwed up on the qualifications or whatever. And, and basically, you know, even the event director was like, man, I'd do anything I could to make it right because I know it was my mistake, but I just, I can't fix it now. And to me, like you talk about mindset, that's how I looked at it was like, okay, well you can screw me out of this or whatever. But you know, that's where I think a guy needs to dig down and turn a negative into a positive be like, no, I, I deserve to make it to the finals. I've, work my ass off this little deal that's a man-made mistake isn't going to slow me down and and i think that's usually when that saying kind of comes out like the court doesn't lie you know that year i got on a huge heater after that and you know ended up making it to the finals and i think the same thing's going to happen with bow you could even see it austin you know it shows what kind of a competitor he is because he came back and he blasted over there he won seven or eight thousand at austin a week later so i think he's doing a pretty good job of not letting it get him down you know 
light the fire hell yeah sometimes it takes something like that even in you see it in guys careers right something happens and they just hit that next level whether it's something like that or or one run say in the team roping that gives you that confidence or one ride in the bull riding that hey i am elite and and look out i think that i think you're totally right i think you can see bo now gonna step to that next level yeah yeah for sure and especially like what what bigger stage can you be on, you know, back in the corner, last one to go at Houston. And I mean, in my mind, he rose to the occasion and blasted, you know what I mean? And did it. That That's a huge, that's a huge shot of confidence for him. So I'm looking mm-hmm. forward for good things. My prediction, I think he's still going to make it to the finals this year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That'd be a good story. Plus Buck, any publicity is good publicity. Everybody knows who he is now. Okay. Game on. Yeah. Buddy. It's sponsors. Let's go. <laughs> well, and I think that's what happened. It worked out pretty good and just, the way that he handled it, you know what I mean? Yeah. He never took the Facebook and yeah. you see so much of that and it drives me nuts. Like if I have a pet peeve, it's when someone's wrong done and it's like, I'll show you, I'm getting on Facebook. To me, I just, I can't stand that. And, and Bo was the exact opposite. He never did any of that. In fact, they ended up raising like 50 grand that they were going to give him because they thought that he deserved it. And I mean, he went ahead and pushed it forward yeah. onto this kid that got into a wreck that really needed it. And I mean, I think overall what it did was it gave him a platform to show sort of the rodeo community what kind of a guy he was, which was awesome. Yeah. All right, Jerry, we got to go back, buddy, because um, we'll get to the world championships and stuff after, but I kind of went off the rails because we had so many fucking, so many questions for it. It's just been great. But uh, uh, the youth, bud. So coming from British Columbia, beautiful BC, roping always the key. I've heard that you rode some steers, did some different events family and rodeo what's the backstory for jerry bueller getting into this western way of life so uh yeah i was born and raised in abbotsford bc and uh you know didn't necessarily come from a rodeo family but a family that always had horses and stuff like that it was it was more my parents dream you know what i mean they uh we'd go watch the abbotsford road when we were kids i could ride my bike to it whatever and you know basically it it turned into one of their dreams to have kids that did that. They loved watching it. So um, it's kind of a funny story how it worked. So they had us into that. And I was like probably every other kid. I watched eight seconds. I wanted to be a bull rider. I wanted to do the whole deal. So I started riding steers and doing stuff like that. And I mean, anyone that was around me can, you know, they can back me up on it. I I was never that good at it. You know, I liked it. I, I, I feel like I tried hard, but I just, I wasn't that good. And then whenever I hit a foot and a half, growth spurred at about 14 or 15. It was 6'3", 130. It kind of took care of stuff. <laughs> but uh, as far as the roping deal, my mom worked in a grocery store and a guy came through her tail wearing a cowboy hat and spurs, which like never happens in Abbotsford. You know what I mean? There's kind of farming and stuff, but not a whole lot of roping and uh, basically just said, yeah, I'm going to open to this place. And she was asking him about it. So after work, she came back and picked everybody up and the whole crew. And, you know, her and my dad took us out to this guy's place. We kind of started roping a little bit there. And then next thing you know, it was roping the dummy all day, every day at home. You know, we never played organized sports. There's five kids and, you know, we just, our sport was roping the dummy in the backyard. You know, it was, it was all we ever did. So we did that and then came through like uh, the little britches and, and high school rodeo ranks and stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, it was my parents, they did everything they could, you know, and I don't, I've never thought of it as like a poor me deal, but we just, we didn't have a truck or a trailer or I didn't even have a horse in high school rodeo. I'd go and, and I'd ride, you know, there were other families like, 
Brian Poffenroth and a bunch of those guys that would, you know, the Black Sox down on the coast and, you know, um, you know, Danny and Annette Moore, people like that, they'd let me on their horses and among others, you know what I mean? And it was kind of cool. Like we'd, I kind of high school rodeoed like a bull rider might, you know what I mean? We were in a Sunfire car and had a tent and, and that was what we do, you know? So I've, I've really appreciated people like that have, that have helped along the way. And then after high school, I knew that I wanted to, I wanted to get down South where I could rope year round. That was the big thing. Like where we were, there were no indoor barns. No one was really roping all year round. And, and I knew that at that point in time in my age, I was behind, you know, like, um there's kids down here from texas or utah or arizona that rope amazing when they're 13 14 years old so i was way far behind and i didn't have any money so i ended up taking a i took a year off and i went and worked in fort mac and uh and the then metropolis. i ended up getting, <laughs> the yeah metropolis the metropolis <laughs> and you know what i don't fucking it make was, your rope good it really will. And it was good because a couple different things. I was like, you know, at that point in time in Alberta, if you wanted to go and work, you could make a stupid amount of money not being qualified for anything. Like you could be an idiot and go make 10000 a month, it seemed like. Yeah. And uh, I think a couple good things came from that. For me, it was the fact that I halfway enjoyed it. You know what I mean? Like I was around a good crew, a lot of good guys. We had fun. Like it was fine. So from that point on, I really wasn't scared to work. And I think that that played a big key in, in the future, like in the following years. So anyways, I saved up and bought a truck and ended up going to going to college at South Plains College there, um, west of Lubbock, Texas. And same deal. I went down there as a, a guy that was heading steers. I really didn't head that good. Um, I'd had a little bit of success jackpotting at the amateur level. And then the year after that is when I ended up at Doug Wilkinson's place there in Mossley, Alberta. And I mean, I walked up and basically I had one horse and I showed up and he had probably 15 that they were roping on. He had 200 head of steers because he's contracting all the rodeos. And basically he was like, Hey, get on that horse kid sort of thing. So I got on and I roped. And then I think I ended up roping on 10 or 12 head that day and ran a pile of steer, probably 150 steers. And I'd never, even in college, got to practice that way. Um, and to me, it was just, to this day, it was one of the best days of my life because I felt like I could finally practice the way that I needed to practice. So so needless to say, I never left his place. I stayed there for, I think I went back and forth to college for two years after that. And uh, it's actually kind of funny. He plays a pretty cool role in, in my uh, career too because – Everybody that knows Doug knows that he's not just a, you know, a supporter of a nine to five job and, you know, a secure way to make a living, you know, he's, he's good to, you know, famous saying, you know, a lot of guys are too busy working to make, to make any money, you know, so, <laughs> so I come back after college and I have a job at Sherwood Park working on that tank farm and I'm going to save up so I can go back to school and live off that money. Well, I work up there for about a month. And I'm kind of going to Doug's on my days off to practice and going to jackpots. And um, I ended up going to one and, and winning like 8,600. And in my head, the gears are already turning and I'm going, well, if I've made that, like, you know, maybe I don't need this other job. Maybe I should just keep roping and see if, if I can do it. 
and as soon as I thought about it, Doug was like, yeah, that's what you need to do. You need, you need to come here. You need to be riding these horses. Like you don't need a job. You don't need to be working. You need to be roping and that's going to make you money, which I appreciate that so much now because all of us in this industry, we've all met all those guys that are like, wow, you know, rodeo and you're worse off than when you started. Like it's so easy to find negativity about it. But Wilkinson was always the guy that he kind of pushed me to to do that. So anyways, it didn't take long. I, I ended up quitting my job with, he didn't really have to twist my arm. And then I ended up, I think I made 28 or 30,000 after that, which was more than I could have made working. And uh, whenever I went back to college that year, then that year I went to the world series in Vegas and me and my brother actually ended up winning it. And we won 109,000 each. And then after that, it was, you know, you know, the drill, I'll never see another poor day. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Yeah. So we did that. And then, you know, that hundred thousand, you know, I, I was too young. I'd never had the money. <laughs> I don't, I don't think it even lasted a year and I think it was all gone. You know what I mean? What was your first I mean, Did you spend yeah, something gonna... big? Did you do something stupid? I did so many stupid things. Like I bought this truck. <laughs> well, first thing I did, which it's not stupid. I had a lot of fun, but I took a lot of my friends out for steak dinners and like all these fancy deals. Like I'm talking four or five, seven hundred dollar dinners where it's like, hell yeah, boys on me. Like, you know? I'm rich, bitch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I jackpotted a lot. So sort of through that six month deal, I went from being like a number five healer to an eight plus, which like for the people that don't know, like an NFR healer is a number 10 and like a an amateur healer is like a number five so for me that six months right there like it almost screwed me because i was basically on a heater and i really didn't know why i was roping good but i was roping good enough to get my number raised so i think that's where a lot of that money went too was i was numbered higher than i was but i just kind of kept my nose to the grindstone kept putting my name down and i i just had it in my head that if i stayed hooked or open it was it was always going to come around and i mean the one good thing I did buy with that money was I bought a horse for 3000 bucks, And over a couple of years, I turned it into a pretty good one and was able to sell it for 20 which kind of kept me in the game. But but after that, there were still a couple of winters where I had to come home and go to work and, and whatever after I blew through the World Series money. And, uh, you know, I, I always just tried to keep the mindset that I was I was never worried about the money. You know, it's easy to do. It's easy to get to a point where you're like, well, do I want to go to that rodeo? It's going to cost this or, or whatever. But but I had it in my head. I'm like, you know what? I don't give a shit. If I got to go to work next winter, that's what I'll do. But while I have money now and if I can get there, I'm putting my name down and I'm going to go. Right. And I mean, and eventually it just got to the point where I had enough saved after, you know, I'd been to the CFR a couple of times where I was like, perfect. I'm going to go to Arizona for the whole winter and just keep practicing now. And I mean, it just, it's funny when you look back on it, how stuff seems to work out when you're just, you're not scared to put your name down and, and kind of bet on yourself instead of listening to everybody else telling you that, you know, you'll go broke or you'll be this or that. So. Mm-hmm. Plus that, plus that going to work every once in a while does, let's just be honest, push you even harder to be yeah. better. Right. Oh man, when you're on a drill floor in minus 45 <laughs> and the steels are shrunk in the top drive and it's raining hydraulic fluid and it's going down your face into your mouth, you're like, 
Was I what really the... trying that hard at my roping? Like, I have to, I have to try hard here. Where do I want to try hard at? On the grill floor, on night shift, or when I'm practicing? You know? Yeah. No shit. I want to get into the number, the number system with you, but before we do, you said about going broke, and uh, it was a guy that always said the same thing to me. Right? It was like, just don't worry about it. Keep entering. Was Ty Pazban. It was we ride too good to go broke. So just keep fucking entering. It's gonna pay off at some point, right? And that's what I like that, that you brought that up. But speaking of Ty as well, back to those high school days. I know that you guys high school rodeo together in BC. So uh is there any good stories that you have from from those days? I hung out with Ty through our, our teen older teenage years and in our twenties, and I know what we got up to. So what were those uh, what were those high school years like for you guys? <laughs> Man, they were a good time. I mean, you guys know the drill. You guys knew them so good. And, and we kind of grew apart as we got older, different ends of the arena and stuff. But I remember Ty, one of my first memories of him, he was a little kid. It was the first rodeo that he entered, I'm pretty sure. And it was Princeton, BC. I wasn't living there yet. But I remember they ran this cow, and it was a range cow. Like, they weed him out. It's just, it's the same everywhere up there. Like, you're not getting on some loping calf you know what i mean like these things they run them off the range and they're doing backflips in the shoot and i mean this tie i'll never forget he got on and he spurred the piss out of this thing and it was just from that point we we knew how great he was gonna be from seeing him ride his first steer and uh i remember right after that he didn't he didn't really care about it they had this paintball deal in the in the bar next to it and i'll never forget like he was he was a bit younger than me, but he's in a t-shirt over there paintball and just getting welted by these paintballs, laughing his ass off, running around in there. And yeah, we we had a lot of good times. It's probably the same as everybody. Some of the best times probably can't can't share with public. <laughs> <laughs> well, I gotta give him uh kudos because he's the reason that I ended up getting to meet you. Cause we were uh I don't know where we were going to, but I was flying somewhere. I needed a ride to the North Run for like Grimshaw and all those ones. And he got a hold of you. And I was a shy 18-year-old freaking kid just starting to go to pro rodeos. I was shy at that time, Scott. I was insecure. Fuck. I didn't know anybody. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, long story short, though, he lighted up. And then me and you ended up. And I can't remember who was with us. But I, you guys let me hop in your rig. And we drove all the way from BC up to Grimshaw and, and uh, hit that north run. Yeah. That's just like, I remember that, too. And, and to me, that's that's the funnest part about rodeo and, like, that's the stuff that needs to happen. You know, you, you barely know a guy, like you said, you start out, you're the shy, shy young bull rider or whatever. But I mean, that's the cool thing about it is most of the time, if someone needs a ride or whatever, we're usually quitty, pretty quick to throw them in. And I mean, you get to meet someone new and, and everybody's got a pretty cool story and you end up having fun. But yeah, that was, that was a blast. So were you in the rig? Do you remember that when we were driving out of Grimshaw and it was real muddy? And we're in this like bus type deal and we end up getting stuck in this liner hauling bulls and horses behind us. They end up slamming the brakes on and almost running into us and getting stuck. And, and I remember whoever was, I don't even remember who was driving the liner, but they come running up this door and the guy I was roping with at the time. He's still a good buddy of mine. And, and he wasn't scared to go. Like he, he was freaking, he was on go all the time. And I mean, this liner driver comes and he thinks he's going to come up the side of this bus and chew his ass. And I mean, he whipped the door open and, you know, it, it was just a good old wild west rodeo story, but uh, pretty funny. I kind of forgot 
about that till you brought that up. Was that it was I think it was Colton Schmidt was it was his rig, right? Wasn't it? Or and Casper? It was, I was it was Colton's rig and it was one of those uh like toter home sort of deals with the yeah. bed and the calic fit and, and I know sweet. Colton Yeah, Colton was cornered up by the back. Someone else had him cornered up. They were mad at him gonna whoop his ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, things things escalated quickly. No one seemed really happy to be uh be at that rodeo at that point in time in the month. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants to be a grip shot to start with. <laughs> um, so the number system that you brought up, I think that's kind of a fun, well, not really fun thing, but a thing to bring up because it's totally different in the team roping than any other sport in rodeo. And a lot, of, I don't really know any other sport that kind of has that same system, but can you kind of explain it, how it works? Um, you said like a five is an amateur roper and a 10 is an NFR roper. Um, and then all these different jackpots, you rope and you win money based on your level of skill, your skill level, which is what your number is, correct? Yeah, for sure. So basically, uh, I'd say it's probably similar to golf again, like the handicap system. Um, and it's the cool thing about it. You know what I mean? Obviously, team roping, it's, it's not near as taxing on the body as all the other rodeo events. And the cool thing about it is, you know, there's some guys, like I put some schools on where some guy will be 70 years old and wants to learn how to do it, you know? And it's, that's the cool thing is you can be any skill level and you can just enter and they'll give you a number. They have the criteria, the whole deal. Like a lot of times a true beginner will be like a two or a three. And then, you know, as you go and as you enter more jackpots and the more you win, the higher your number gets. And it, it basically makes it so that, um, you know, ropings are handicapped so that somebody that's an NFR healer can't just go and clean them up because that's how it was probably, I don't know if it would have been 30 or 40 years ago, everything was all just open. So anybody could show up the best healer of all time and go in first through fifth. Well, then everyone gets pissed off. No one wants to go and enter, you know, it'd be the same as a PBR bull rider going against, you know, whoever mm -hmm. guy, guys at an amateur level. So, so yeah, it, it's a good system. I think it works pretty good for the most part. Um, the only thing that sucks about it is the higher number you get, usually the more you have to travel, you know, like it's, uh, if you have a, a low number now, you can rope with the World Series or opens and, and win more than the guy that wins the world almost. But uh, yeah, it's all, it all works pretty good. It, who, yeah, picks it? who picks the yeah. number? Who's the, is there like a, is there like a board of directors or is it, the, the all the other team ropers or how the fuck do you get your number picked yeah they usually have a couple of guys that uh you know they keep an eye on everybody and and the main thing is they keep an eye on the young kids like no different than me is when you're 14 15 years old and you kind of hit your growth spurt and, you know your bells drop and you start figuring out how to swing your rope and how to catch and, and on and on i mean you can get better so fast that these guys they have to keep an eye on it to to keep everybody numbered, you know, accordingly, but I don't know exactly the structure, but there's usually four or five guys for each association or region. And I mean, they'll have a meeting and they'll talk about it or like a lot of producers reserve the right. So like the young guy shows up and, and just starts whooping everybody's ass and winning everything. A lot of times they'll, you know, raise their number or do whatever, but it honestly, for how, how many people there are that rope? I, I think that it works pretty good. Robert Schmidt's uh, yeah, that... the leader. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Scott. Uh, no, I, that's, and that's, that very thing happened to Braden. You know, my boy there, he, his number got bumped after, I think it was the high roller. Am I right? 
Yeah, um, I think so. We actually did real well yeah. out there. Yeah, and that's kind of I hear it from both sides. And like I said, I I've never team roped a whole bunch, but guys don't want their number bumped. But to me, from the outside looking in, if your number's getting bumped, you deserve to to move up. If you're get if your number's going up, you deserve to to be up there and rope with those better guys, right? Well, for sure. And that's the way that I've always kind of looked at it is like, okay, say you're number five. Well, you got to figure out how to rope like a number six or a number seven. And it's funny that you touched on that because that's another one of my pet peeves. Like I can't stand sitting there listening to it. You know, a guy, a guy that's, you know, say Braden, for example, that would, you know, and he wouldn't, but someone like that, that's going to complain because they got their number raised. And I'll just sit there and I'll be like, man, you're a puss. Like, I, I can't handle hearing it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> For me, it's like, why work at it then? You know, if, if mm-hmm. you want to keep a number and don't want to get better, I mean, in a lot of times it'll be at a school. It's like, well, how do I do this but keep my number here? And, and you're like, man, you're barking up the wrong tree. Like, if you don't want to get better, I'm sorry, but you, you came to the wrong place. You know what I mean? I thought it'd be the other uh, way where you'd be like, eh, what's up, bitch? I'm a fucking eight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, like calling each other out for having a higher number. Well, that's always how I thought. I was always like, I want to be a 10. Like, mm-hmm. You know, it's no difference. I mean, how good of a bull rider are you if it's like, well, I don't really want to go to the PBR. Those bulls look like they buck pretty hard. I'd rather just enter these amateurs here. And I mean, it's just... I don't really know if that's how the guys do it in that event or whatever, but to me, it's, I've always had it in my head and the people I like being around, they want to, they not only want to be number tens, they want to be the best number 10, you yeah, know? Right. Yeah. That's what separates now, you world championship, right? That's says it all right there. Now, like in any event in any sport around the world, um, do you, and I'm putting you on the spot here and obviously you can answer it or choose not to, but even without roping super good one weekend or two weekends in a row, is there still, is there a little bit of politics involved? Like when that number's being moved up, down? I don't know. I've always heard of, I've always heard some speculation like, oh, well, that guy enters a lot, so they won't lower him. But like, if I go to a roping where they have an open and then like, you know, say my wife ropes in the lower numbered stuff and you sit there and you watch, like, I don't think so. You know, I don't think the politic deal really plays plays into it. Maybe that's just what I choose to believe. But when I watch, I feel like everyone's numbered fairly close. And right. a lot of times, like, and you can ask anybody all the way up. Like, there's this funny saying. They're always like, man, can you believe I'm only a five? Like, can you believe I'm only a five? Like, I'm, I'm roping so good, I'm only a five. <laughs> I'm, I'm only a six. But <laughs> like, yeah. sometimes that is the case. Like, with your boy, like with Braden. I know that is how he's been, you know, he's kind of been ahead of the curve. He's had a lot of a good help, like with Kyle and Fisk and yeah. those guys. And yeah. I mean, they do stay ahead and the number doesn't keep up with them. But uh, no, it's, it's probably the same as like, I'd compare it to in the bull ride and like, and I don't know if any of you guys do this, but is there ever a guy that's just like, man, can you believe they only marked me like an 82? I thought for sure I was 88. And they say yeah, that everyone. Every guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man, that many judges can't be wrong. <laughs> yeah, I get yeah. That's a good comparison. I like that. Yeah, Jay, let's get into the world championship, man. Were you guys the first Canadians to make the NFR in the first place, or was there Canadians that have made the NFR the team roping? So Levi was the first header to make it to the NFR. 
and I was technically the second healer. Uh, Dean Tufton, yeah, Dean Tufton. Oh, he yeah. made it for okay, sure. so that yeah. for that starting out, like just to be to that, you know, you see in the bull rider, the bronc riding, right? Like, yeah, there's Canadians that go, and it's you know, we, we don't have as big in numbers, but you're not like the first or second ones to ever make it in that event in the history of rodeo from Canada. So just that to start with, then getting there, then going through those 10 days, walk us through this, the 2016, the finals leading up to the finals and those runs that you went through. What, what was, what was it all like for you? Mind blowing a little bit. You're still pretty young at that time. Uh, hit that success pretty early. What's the, what's your thoughts looking back on it now, all these years later, man, it was honestly wild. Like, thinking back on it, um, you know, the thing with growing up in Canada and roping is the thing is, at that point in time, it was like, you had Marty Becker, Rocky Down, Dwight Wegemeyer, you know, among others, you know, that roped so good. And as a kid, you're always like, man, how are those guys not at the NFR? Like, they roped so good, you know? And uh, so, to me, it was always one of those things. It's a little bit in the back of your head. You're like, why haven't they why haven't they made it and to this day i'll argue with anybody that it's not because of of roping or skill or a lack of heart or anything like that those guys are freaking studs like they all roped awesome and they all tried and they're all you know what i mean mm -hmm. any one of them could have made it 10 times i feel like based on skill but to me it was always something that was kind of in my head where it was like man i just if they couldn't do it i, I wonder how i could but i made the decision early that I was never going to be a guy that everybody was like, man, he, he could have made it if, or he could have made it if he tried, or I was like, I'm going to know exactly where I stand on this deal. And I'm going to rodeo my ass off until I either make it or I don't. And I'm going to be fine with whatever the outcome is. But that 2016 year, there were so many peaks and valleys. Like we, it was the first year we had a good winter, you know, so we're off to a good start. Everything's going good. We make it back at Pinocchio to high team i think we won the first two rounds so it should have been easy for us to coast through that and win another you know four five six eight thousand and i end up roping a leg well that's a huge down like that's a huge valley for the year but then we keep on winning have a decent fourth then we go to cheyenne we draw a loper there which there's like a, a saying like you can't miss those lopers at cheyenne those are a big deal at that point in time the rounds paid a lot and they were huge well I missed one there. And so there are two of those big valleys, but then other than that, it went pretty good. And and so we ended up making it there. And then just like you said, it, it's so hard to explain or find the right words to, to tell people how they can feel exactly how it felt. Like you're so damn nervous. Like so many people have helped me throughout the course of my life, whether it's, you know, helping you with your rope and letting you rope at their house, you know, all the guys that let me on their horses through high school and, you know, the sacrifices that my parents and everybody made for you to get there. Like there's a lot of weight on your shoulders and a lot of, you know, and especially it's one of the coolest things. I love it when you're one of the only healers that makes it to the NFR. It's pretty badass when it feels like you've got a whole country of, of team ropers that are watching where, you know, by default you're their team, you know what yeah. I mean? Because uh, yeah. want, but, but that's, that's a lot of pressure and a lot of, you know, a lot of stress goes into it wanting to do good, but it was always good for me because I never took that lightly. I've never been a, 
an overly confident person to begin with. Like I've never been someone that's like, hell yeah, I made it to the finals. Now I'm going to go whoop their ass. To me, it was one of those deals where I felt like a lot of things went my way for me to make it to the finals. So I put a lot of work and a lot of effort into practicing on the right kind of steers so that I would be ready there. Um, at that point in time, I had it in my head where one of my weaknesses was healing bigger steers, you know, because so say a regular steers 450, a lot of times at the NFR, you're open 600 pounders, like 150 pounds. That's a big difference on their hopping pattern and, and all these other little things. So, so I went and I found these steers to lease that me and Levi could practice on that were probably 650. They were huge. And we worked at it hard for a few weeks. We each had four horses. Like we went at it and leading up to it, all of a sudden I did feel fairly confident, you know, because I felt like we were prepared and, and I felt like we put in, you know, someone else could have been working as hard, but they weren't working harder than us. Yeah. And then um, whenever we were driving up there, it's funny because I told Katie, I'm like, you know what? It'd be so awesome if we made like 30 or 40 grand right here. That would, that would change our life at this point in time. You know what I mean? And we showed up and we ended up winning the first round and we won 26 or 27,000. And it was funny whenever I first seen her after she's like at 30 or 40 grand, you better, you better, you know, make an adjustment on how much you want to win, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And just, you talk about the feelings and the emotions of it. It's the same deal. You know, when you run that first year at the NFR and, and you heal the piss out of them, that's, that's the good stuff to me. You know, that's, those are the things you'll remember till you're an old man, you know, and it's something that, you know, those feelings are the ones you wish you could put in a bottle and, and sell, keep or whatever. But whenever we got off to a start like that, won the first round, the big thing was the feel of it too there. Um, everybody talks about how small the Thomas and Mac is. Well, we'd been roping in Rexall, which was half the size, you know, yeah. not literally, but it, it's a lot smaller. I remember thinking that the Thomas and Mac felt like a pasture compared to Rexall. And right. it was just... You know, Levi was amazing at that setup. He's always been amazing at that setup. And and after we did good the first time, instantly we had this confidence that, you know, our run was going to work, you know. So as it went, I think I stubbed my toe a couple times, roped a couple legs. Maybe Levi maybe struggled on one steer. But but other than that, it, it all just kind of came together. But it, it was awesome the way that it worked out. Were you just kind of like on a – on a level you weren't the, the thoughts weren't going through your head the process all that sort of stuff just kind of go through the routine routine during the day back in the box get a good start and everything fell into place you know you talk about guys like basketball players where the the hoops as big as your arm right it's like you're in a different you're in a different realm or you're on a different level it's like those white zones right where there's nothing can go wrong was that one of those those 10 days was that kind of like that was like for you, you had to pinch yourself that it might have been like a dream yeah, hundred percent, and and it's one of those places where it's such a, it's such a marathon. Like whether you're doing good or not having luck, like ten days of rodeoing is, you know, on that stage. I mean, I remember my first year there, I lost so much weight and just like was just stressed every day oh, about it. Oh yeah, yeah, that was probably stress for sure. Yeah, okay, <laughs> ten days, <laughs> ten, ten days in Vegas. Yeah, it was all stress. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, hey, I'm just bugging you. I'm... Hey, it's my story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, uh, so like you said, you end up in a zone 
And then, like we said earlier, like whether you see a guy make a good ride or a good run or whatever, all of a sudden, I think you start buying into your into yourself a little bit more. That's how it was with me not being naturally confident was as it kept going and we kept winning. I was like, man, maybe all those years of the Canadian finals and all the practice runs, like, you know, in the practice leading up to it, like maybe we hit the target this time. And then you start believing that every day you show up, you feel like you're going to do good. And then you're still just as nervous, but you talk about being in the zone and, and that's what I always tell people at the clinics. They ask about how nervous you are and stuff at the finals. And the craziest thing to me is, I get so nervous that I have a hard time eating out there. Like you got to force yourself to eat and then going up the alley, you're so nervous because, you know, you just, you want to do a good job. But to me, it's always been, as soon as you ride in, it feels like you're in the practice pen and everything kind of slows down and, and it gets where you can think your way through it a little bit. There's nothing much better than that. I don't think. Yeah. So I got, I got two questions. One, what did you end up winning out of there that year? We won 186,000. Jesus, USD. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not bad <Yeah>. yourself. <laughs> yeah. No, it was, it was sweet considering like, uh, at the and start a gold of bucket. that, oh yeah. yeah. At the start of that year, I think I had 5,000 cash. I had, uh, 20, 23,000 in credit card debt and a, like a $900 truck payment. And I mean, it went from that to, you know, Next thing you know, I can finally pay that credit card debt off that I've had for four or five years, which anybody that's starting rodeo and they get that deal, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it was just nice to get everything squared off and then just know that, you know, even if you never want anything again rodeoing, that, you know what I mean? It was good to you and you could be positive about it. And, and you know what I mean? Like, I'm one of those guys. I, I love rodeo. You know, it doesn't matter what event. It's everything that I have in my life is from that. You know what I mean? So it's, it's one of those things that it's pretty cool whenever it, uh, when it all comes together like that. So the second part to my question is even to this day, when I see a, uh, a PRCA world champion buckle, it is, I mean, I, I'm no different. I see someone with that buckle on and that buckle is amazing to me. And, uh, I, I can't imagine, and I, it's probably hard for you to explain again, but to put that on, and walk out of there it had to be one of the well it would have been the best feeling in your life for sure it was it was there was just so many emotions I honestly think that it took two or three years to sink in honestly like and everybody says that all the time like man it just it hasn't even sunk in yet or whatever but to me when you just the crazy thing about it is when you think what company you're with with those you know what I mean that's the cool thing like Clay O'Brien Cooper, Rich Skelton, Jade Corkill, you know, Steve Northcott, all these guys that have, you know, over the years, Walt Woodard, the list goes on, Leo Camarillo. Like, those are the guys that you've idolized your entire life and and to know that, you know, at that point in time, you were in the conversation with them. That's mm-hmm. that's pretty sweet right there. That's enough where a guy should never have another bad day after that. I mean, you still yeah. do, but pretty cool. Yeah. Part three, celebration. Come on, uh, we have the <laughs> we have the Stanley Cup celebrations. I've been a part of a few of the the PBR World Championship celebrations in Vegas. What did you do? What did you get up to? What was the follow up after you win that World Championship? Man, it was it was pretty cool. So one of the funniest stories that I tell 
is so we never knew we won the world like after we went and you'll see the run i was jacked up everybody's all excited because we knew that we won the average so that's what we were pumped about and then they tell us right before they interview us that we also won the world so it was a pretty emotional deal and then in vegas they they lead you down back through all those alleys or whatever and you end up back in the press room well it was pretty cool because you go in there and uh you know, whoever won the bareback, they're going to be in there at that point in time. And then, you know, whoever won the bulldog and they're in there that time. And then you're in there and like these guys just keep filing in, right? Mm. That And everybody, like the energy and just oh, it's yeah. so cool there. I'll never forget Zeke. He comes bopping around the corner. It was the first time he won the world. And I mean, it was just everyone was pumped and yelling and doing whatever. Well, they keep you down there because you got to talk to everybody. And all of a sudden, well, no, first I need to go back. First, they do the deal at the end with the fog and the whole deal. Well, we're in the we're in the alley there, getting ready to walk out. It's blacked out, and the fog's coming in. Well, first thing I see someone running through the fog. Well, it's it's my girlfriend at the time, Katie. She's hauling ass, running through the fog to come and see me. And Casper threw her in the arena from the stands, which it's like a freaking eight foot drop. Like I don't know how it didn't, how it didn't break something. So she comes hauling ass in, security's chasing her. They, She gives me a big hug and a kiss and then they take her out of there, right? Like, hey, you can't be back here. <laughs> so we end up going back down the alley to the media room and all of a sudden I start hearing a ruckus. Like, you see the guys that want it, they're hugging and, you know, it's real emotional. Everybody's kind of quiet and hugging their family and kind of celebrating. Well, f- here comes my crew. My brothers are there. Casper's there. Freaking... The whole crew's there, and all you can hear is this yelling, and you hear this calf for going, 100 steers a day, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And it was was so funny. I mean, my crew, they were definitely the rowdy section in the back, and I mean, yeah, we ended up getting a limo from there and ended up going to the Mirage and got drink tickets for everybody and live band and it was yeah it got a little out of hand but it was <laughs> <I can> remember <laughs> yeah for sure it was or awesome. not remember <laughs> did you guys know like the history that you guys had made as canadians alone you talk about zeke but that 2016 i think that's the most money that canada's ever won out of their multiple world championships or were you guys not thinking about that it was all kind of a blur and you found out about all that stuff afterwards i was keeping track of it because like it's weird when I'm at the finals, I don't really keep track of the team roping a whole lot. Like I just kind of try to keep it simple, but I watched the other events real closely. And uh, like, I knew that Jake Vold, he damn near won the bareback that year. He did really good. And and yeah, just kind of in the ground entry, getting ready. You always talk to the other guys down there from Canada and kind of have a rough idea how everybody's doing or whatever. And, and yeah, it was, it was one of those deals. It, it was so cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. You talk about um, the highs and lows of of rodeo and your successes. And, uh, you know, leaving there, uh, you obviously, when you leave with the World Championship, there's some stuff that comes with it in the future, being sponsorship. I mean, sponsorship's what gets us a lot. A lot of us got a lot of us down the road. Did you feel that sponsorship grow after that? Um I know, I know your and your persona was, too, right? Yeah. Like, like you're like, did people treat you different? I like that question, Scott. Right? You are, you're a world champion now, right? So, 
did was it like people were different to you and different stuff like that too yeah and it it all came on like i was not ready for it mm -hmm. you know what i mean like because i've always been kind of like keep to myself whatever like no one no one really knew at that point in time who me and levi were like we were sort of the new kids on the block and, and whatever which it was it was honestly like i didn't mind it it was kind of nice that way and then after that a few different things have obviously like the sponsors and stuff were way better you know you end up getting good endorsements and and whatever and meeting all these people and and you see an end of the of rodeo on that's pretty cool. Like when you go places, like the committee people, they they always kind of recognize you or whatever. So you make a lot of friends and a lot of good people along the way, and and you're kind of all of a sudden in this brotherhood with with the other world champions, you know. And you get to kind of be around them and and stuff like that. But the difficult thing for me that came with all of that was not only the expectations now everywhere you roped that other people put on you, but yourself too. Mm -hmm. That was, that was a, that was a challenge for me. Um, you know, especially like you'd go to a jackpot and now every single person is watching you and how you behave and how you rope and how your horses are and what you're using, like all these little things. Right. So if you're not just, a super confident person in what you're doing and, and still kind of trying to put the pieces together. It got to where that kind of took a toll on me. And then not to mention myself, after you do that, well, now you expect to win everywhere you go because mm -hmm. you're doing better than you ever thought you did. And it took me a little while. I, I kind of like, we made it to the finals the year after and I had a terrible finals. I really didn't rope good. I think I was low money winner. So I went from setting a new earnings record that year to being the low man on the totem pole, which it sucked. But I think a lot of that was, was mental error and just dealing with the new thing. I'm not going to be one of these guys that's like, oh, yeah, it's it's this or that. Like, you know, damn sure not complaining about it. It was just an adjustment that it took me a while to to get with mentally. Because after that bad finals, I never made it to the NFR 18, 19, 20. And I think a lot of that was because of my my mindset. You know, like there's a lot of things that uh, practicing, you start thinking, well, maybe that's not good enough. But I got into this weird spot where I was like, no, I just have to believe in myself more. So I kind of quit breaking my game down. And then next thing you know, I'm getting my ass whooped everywhere. So the COVID year came at a perfect time because it gave me a year off where I didn't really have to lose any of my sponsors. I didn't have to throw my sucker in the dirt and go home and try to figure it out. But it was a deal where I was able to go home and really look at my game and sort of reload and make the adjustments I needed. And like now, if you ask me now, I think I'm roping 10 times better now than I did when I did win the world. Just hit that prime boys. Yeah. Yeah. You get the prime and the team roping a little different than in the other events. Yeah. I bet. And that's kind of cool about it too. You can go for a long time, right? Like it's not like the bull riding where you're, you only have a certain amount of years, which I, I'm sure you do for your prime have a certain amount of years, but I think that that prime or that, that however long you can last is a lot longer in that team roping world. Right. For sure. Yeah. Like it's, uh, it's one of those deals where I think that, it's weird because you don't see a lot of kids just crack out as 18, 19, 20 year olds and whoop everyone's ass in their open. Like it, it does happen. There are examples, but a lot of the times it's, it's when they get, they've been out there for a little while and they're seasoned a little bit and they're kind of, you know, a lot of guys shoot, they'll do it till they're, you know, 
40, 45, no sweat and can do it. Most of the time they go home because they've raised a family and want to, you know, they want to slow down on their own terms. It's not necessarily that they're, you know, not able to do it anymore. I've always thought that kind of sucked for bull riders or bareback riders or whoever, like they're so rank and, and they're my age now. And I just, I couldn't imagine if I had, like if my body was deteriorating to where I had to quit right now, you know? Yeah, true enough. And that's a big struggle for a lot of guys that we do talk to on here too, right? Well, we've held you, buddy. This has been great. Shit. It's been uh, fun chatting with you, getting your mind on everything. Uh, a couple more for you, but Scott, we got to hit him with our infamous one before we wrap things up. Well, Jerry, it's a pleasure talking to you again. And uh, I always, like I said, I've, I've got, uh, I've been privileged enough to hang out around them schools you do around here with Kyle and Brendan and those guys and watch how you, um teach and that's about giving back right taking all your uh the stuff you've learned and, and giving back and get these kids and and people period on the right track to being good team ropers so uh well this is the nfp podcast uh you know our take on it what's yours yeah and it, it's interesting like it's uh it might be a little different coming from a team ropers perspective but uh the same in a the same in a lot of ways to me it's uh it's similar to what casey said i choose to not be around pussies you know what i mean i can't stand it if you're around someone where it's like well i would have done this but this or but that like the excuse make and the well i was dealt this card i was dealt that card you know what everybody it's all frame of reference everybody's dealt with struggles some are way worse than others but at the end of the day it's i want to be around the guys where when you're down you're looking for a way to to get back up and do the right thing and and you know be a good guy and i just you know i've always kind of had that thought process it's like i don't want to hang out with pussies cuz i'm scared it'll rub off on you you know what i mean like yeah yeah so that's kind of my take on it i like it iron sharpens iron yeah, yeah, and, and not to mention that you can grow a beard in three point eight seconds. Seconds, so yeah, you know, where's that? Where's cool. the, yeah, the deal? I was where's the beard? The and give us the now story it's... on the beard, the fear of the beard, those world championships. You've seen the the huge <laughs> long beard. What was that? Was that? Uh, yeah, what's the story with that? Where is it? Is it coming back? Well, I just took it off yesterday. It's yeah. kind of a it's kind of a season deal. Like uh, it's kind of like the old wives' tale. You got to shave it for it to grow back better, right? But no, I'm, I'm getting ready to do a bunch of work and welding on my place and stuff. But it, it honestly, it, it's a complete shit. It gets pretty stringy when I do that. So I took it off. No, at first, I honestly, I just hated shaving. So I always had like sort of a scruff to me. And and then it got to the point where I started looking around. And I'm like, well, everybody else shaves and, and I don't like it. And I kind of, you know, a lot of the uncles and stuff like that, my brothers, they've always had beards and not my one brother, but my other ones. And I mean, it, it just kind of, it almost seemed like it was just part of, part of who I was. So I just let yeah. it go and didn't really care if I was clean shaven or not. I wish yeah, I could grow one like that. Oh, I love yeah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it. But it did, it, it branded you. They, people associated that with you. They knew like that tied one into the other. It was, it was a super coming a good time. I guess you grew a beard at the right time. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and I know even the first year I made the finals, that's what everyone said. Well, are you going to keep it or are you going to shave it? And I was like, should I've had it this long? It's, I'm going to dance <laughs> with the one that brought me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, love it. Okay. I got one more for you. And the fact that you brought up, you know, near the start of, of having all that credit card debt and coming from 
humble beginnings and and um all that stuff where you, like you say you didn't you didn't come from a whole lot and you've worked for everything that you've got through a rodeo you most recently hit the million dollar mark a million dollars in earnings what does that mean to you if you can look back and and think about yourself at 15 or 16 and and say one day that you're a world champion and then you hit that million dollar mark on in the team rope world yeah it's crazy to think about you know what i mean it's it's wild you know a million dollars is huge to it's huge to me it's huge to my family it's huge to the people around me you know it's uh and when you think about how many you know how many events that is and how much time and you know sweat and blood and you know frustration and mind games and like the whole journey to it it just it's so damn cool i think it's a it's a pretty cool milestone you know what i mean it's uh it's the same old deal as it's you know i knew i was gonna make a million dollars somewhere whether it was on a drilling floor and working up that way or rodeoing but to me it's it's just cool that you could do it with a rope in your hand you know what i mean like all the naysayers all the dinks all the pussies like we've talked about that are like oh you can't make a living with the rope but make a million rodeo and you got to start with two to me, it's sort of a cool way to kind of flip the bird and be like, look, maybe maybe we didn't have every advantage or maybe we didn't have this or maybe this was stacked against me or maybe I had these hardships or those ones, but I never let them keep me down. You know what I mean? I kept getting back up. And, and to me, I think that's one of those milestones that you can't just get lucky to get into. You know, it's one that kind of shows that you've had a little bit of perseverance. And, you know, I don't think any cowboy, whether they're bull riding or team roping or you know, bronc ride and calf rope and whatever, you don't get to that part if you don't have a little bit of freaking grit and, and dig down because everybody will notice you'll start out with a couple of good years rodeo and you'll make some money and then the challenges come in, whether it's getting injured or losing a good horse or, or losing this or that or even just the toll that it takes mentally losing more than you win a lot of the time. And I think that weeds out a lot of guys. So I kind of look at it as a bit of a, a badge of honor, I guess, that you sort of made it through the through the different tides. And it's ironic, um, like you said, your rodeo career started out at a high school level, pretty much. And last year, you made a stop in Gillette at the National High School Finals down there, uh, representing one of your companies there as well. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool. That was kind of one of those full circle deals. You know what I mean? It's uh, you know, I went to the high school finals and and I got my ass whooped the two years that I did go because I was so far behind or whatever. But yeah. um, So I went there for Quanta, which is a company based out of Houston and they're really doing a bunch of awesome things with kids at the high school level. You know, like when I was in high school, it was unheard of to have companies of that magnitude sponsoring kids, you know what I mean? And, And giving them these options to where, you know, you can get scholarships, you can be on their rodeo team. They're going to, let you talk to you know for example i think they had a a deal where it was a group call where all the kids in high school got to talk to the cfo of a fortune 200 company you know what i mean like that's huge especially when you think about schools these days how they really don't teach you a lot of things that you're gonna end up using in life that you almost need to learn the hard way so to me that company and that organization what they're trying to do by helping the kids and sort of build something that's rodeos all intertwined but it's about more than rodeoing i mean that's the sort of stuff that i can get behind that i like being a part of because obviously now i I am getting to a part where you don't just have a chip on your shoulder and it's me 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 i'm gonna do this all you start figuring out how the big picture works where 
you know, you be a part of stuff like that and you can help some kids and, you know, the next, I think it'd be pretty cool. The next 10 years of my career, 10 or 15, however, when I'm getting older, it'd be pretty cool to see some of those kids where those times where you did take the time to help them or talk to them or do whatever paid off and, and kind of helped them along their journey. That's kind of what I'm looking forward to now. Okay. Last one. I hear that there might be a bet of, of you busting the bull rope back out again around the old college yeah. area or, uh, yeah. And I'm going to do it. I, I'll put that on. I'm going to put that out there to the public. <laughs> You're doing it. Are you picking your own bull? How's it going to work? What's going down? When is it going down? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Well, the when is the hard part. As long, <laughs> as long as I'm making it to the NFR, I'm safe because that was one of the fine prints. I was like, I'm not getting on a bull as long as I've got to get ready for that 10 header in Vegas. So I, I guess we'll... We'll start looking like it's getting closer the first year that I miss the finals down here. But yeah, yeah me, exactly. and, me and Tanner Gerlitz, we've got a ongoing bet. That's what he it. said. This, that's what he said this morning. He said we just got to find a year that he isn't qualifying for the NFR, and then it's going to be ninety or nothing. <laughs> I'm gonna say it's probably closer to nothing than ninety, but. <laughs> you know what it won't be from a lack of try i'll tell you that i'll tell you this though when i do get on you better put the cleats back on scott like there's it. gonna we'll, be saving yeah. that'll need to happen on that deal yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll do we'll a content piece even. we'll live <laughs> yeah. we'll live feed it through nfp oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. all right jay well this has been a blast man we really appreciate you uh taking the time to join us on the nfp podcast get your mindset take a look into the team open world uh which we don't get to to look into a lot so some great insights and i'm sure people are gonna love it so once again, buddy, we're proud of you. Hopefully you can go out there and get maybe that season leader that's that's eluded you. That's kind of a goal you're going for, right? That season leader buckle with Houston, that probably helps try to get to that. Yeah, for sure. Kind of gives you a head start. But, yeah, that's that's the goal for the rest of the year is to go into Vegas number one. And, uh, yeah, hopefully have some luck out there. But, shoot, thanks for having me on the podcast, guys. A bull, well, a couple bullfighters and a bull rider would have a team rope around a no pussies podcast. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>